Yeah, so here's the problem. I was going to, um, <laughs> when I dinged it and Patrick said that's a call to order, I was going to say, yes, I'm, and then I was going to say some judge character. But the first place my brain went was to Night Court, and I don't know any characters from Night Court. <laughs> So my name is Judge. Judge yeah, I was going to go with Judge Reinhold. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Fred Gwynn, and I'm bringing this court to order. Yes. Yes, the yeah. best judge. Uh, so this is Cinema Excelsior, and uh, our panel this week. Uh, God, oh, I didn't even come up with the names for you guys because I've, I've been sick. Uh, from digital left to digital right, we have Daniel Watson Jones. Hello. Uh, to his digital right, we have Derek uh, Long, Dr. Derek Long, the crunkest bitch in town. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. <laughs> to his digital right, we've got uh, Nick Bester. Hello. And Cat Friend. I don't know where she went. Yeah. And to his digital right, we have Patrick Regan drinking green tea. And I'm Stephen Claypool, and today we are going to be talking about The Avengers, Age of Ultron, uh, the Marvel film that has the most James Spader per capita of any to date. There's still room for more, but yeah. today, this is this is the max. Mm-hmm. So, uh, per usual, we'll, uh, we'll start off with uh, a, a bit of a recap of the film. This might go oh on for a while. <laughs> As opposed to our usual brisk, efficient summaries. <laughs> yeah, normally we just fly through these things. I, I used to write coverage for professional reasons. <laughs> We're going to uh, we're going to begin with uh, a battle scene in the forests of Sokovia, a real country. Yeah, uh, I love fake countries. Yeah, <laughs> the we're, best. Uh, well, all, hold on. The first, what we begin with is a shot of Loki's scepter. That's true, right? Because that that is like the. I want to say the that's MacGuffin. the MacGuffin. Of, it's the MacGuffin of the beginning of the film. Yeah, it's, 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 it's MacGuffin. They need one. to get the scepter. It's the first. Yes. There's a bunch of MacGuffins. But yeah, there's yes. several MacGuffins. Just like there are almost as many MacGuffins as there are villains. Yeah. <laughs> so, and Avengers. And Avengers. Yeah. So the first MacGuffin is Loki's scepter, and uh, in a post-Winter Soldier world where uh, Hydra has been outed uh, as having corrupted Shield, our beloved what Avengers, all six of them have joined forces in uh, a sweeping CGI-heavy action shot that leads them straight to the base of uh, Baron Von Strucker, played briefly by Thomas Kretschmann at the end of Winter Soldier. Um, uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to point out that the opening of the film is actually not from the perspective of the Avengers. It's from the perspective of the people inside the base that, they are, that the Avengers are attacking. Uh, which kind of sets up the idea that the Avengers are not necessarily the good guys because the first characters we meet are Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. All right, then. Good observation. So, you, you, so you noted. It, it, it is a base under siege scene uh, rather mm. than uh, a storming the base scene in many yeah, cases. Yeah, yeah. Although, yeah, although I'm not sure the Avengers attacking proxy Nazis is necessarily the yeah, best way to I, set up. These guys maybe aren't <laughs> the good guys. Especially because well, Strucker is literally, his his full name is Baron Wolfgang von Strucker. And he has a monocle. Yeah, he's got he's got a literal monocle, so yeah. he's obviously yeah. a bad and guy. And but and regardless, he the first characters that we see, uh, it's not unusual that the first characters you see in a film are the protagonists, mm-hmm. so it, it at least allows for that uh, later interpretation. So who can... Can anyone think of a... Uh, we're going way off the rails early here. Has there ever been a film character with a monocle who wasn't a villain? 
Uh, I mean, there's what about the jeweler? <laughs> I think you have your answer. I, I mean, mean, there's there's like Marx Brothers comic foils who aren't necessarily the villain, uh, but certainly true. aren't the protagonist yeah. either. Uh, just for the record, uh, I don't remember at all whether the jeweler has a monocle or not. I just he's, he's when I think like of monocles that are actually in use in the real world, I think yeah. of people examining jewels. Doesn't, yes. uh, doesn't the general in uh, Pirates of Penzance have uh, the, the modern general? major general? Yeah. The modern major general? Uh, sometimes, maybe. Maybe sometimes mm. he has it, Piznez glasses. Yeah, Piznez seems better for uh, the for Piznez, Piznez of Penzance. <laughs> Piznez? I, I've Piznez. never been entirely clear. I've heard of Piznez. Resume. It sounds so weird. Anyway, um, so we have the storming the base scene slash defending the base scene where the Avengers are coming for the uh, the scepter. We are introduced to three things in this scene. One, we are introduced to uh, Quicksilver. Two, we are introduced to the Scarlet Witch. Both they are siblings. They are super powered, enhanced by Loki's scepter. And the third thing is we are introduced once again to Joss Whedon's ear for dialogue, which normally I enjoy, but which is woefully out of place in this film. Oh, there's there's one other thing. Uh, we're introduced to the idea of Jarvis as an Avenger himself, because he's one of the first characters who is addressed. Okay, oh, fair point. He's, he's more of a main character than he has ever very been before. You know, certainly Scarlet outside Witch. of an Iron Man film. Very importantly, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are categorically not mutants in this. They are not mutants, that is correct. To, to quote Squirrel Girls comics, they are very specifically, legally, in all ways, not mutants. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I brought up the, the thing about Joss Whedon's dialogue here. I, I think one of the reasons that Whedon was hired for the first film is his ability to play well in a large ensemble of actors, yeah. uh, which he did really well in the first film um, and does pretty well in this film. Um, but I feel like the Joss Whedon voice is much more present in this film. Uh, in terms, at least in the way the characters interact with one another. And I found it very distracting throughout the film in a really? way that I really didn't through the Avengers. Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly huh. Ultron is very much sort of the wisecracking Joss Whedon villain, villain in, in many ways. Well, he's, I mean, he's Tony he's Stark kind of Jr. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can, can you think of a, a specific example, maybe? Uh, the entire uh, bit around Cap's language. Yeah, that... See, I think that's a brilliant... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Patrick. I was going to say, that, I will agree, that part bugs me, part of it because um, it... it, it I get the idea behind it, but um, it felt just out of sync with this version of Cap. And I'll, and I say that because this version of Cap grew up on in Brooklyn and fought in World War II. And, like, if you're going to tell me that Captain America, when fighting the Second World War, did not hear a lot more creative swears than shit, I do not believe it. It's also a version but of Cap that has openly Captain lamented America. not. But it's a, a version of Cap that has openly lamented not being able to get drunk. Yeah. I. Yeah. This this is one of one of these like kind of artificial tensions that I feel in a lot of the Cap, a lot of the films that have Captain America in them. Um, just like. It, it seems like his character is is written with certain assumptions about what the 1940s were like in mind, yeah. rather than, um, I, a, you know, not, not I don't to think it, get too pedantic, but like a a genuine kind of understanding and like care yeah. for historically well, what people in the 1940s were like. Which newsflash, 
It's not terribly different from the way people are today. <laughs> but that's, I don't think that's what it's about at all. It's not about the era it comes from. It's about who he is and has always been. And let, let's not forget that he's actually embarrassed to have said that because he said that it was instinct. He, he's like, that just slipped out. But he's, he's never done that before. He's, he's never gotten upset at someone for swearing? Not that I can remember. Not in the films. Not in the one, two, three Has, films. We how, how often do people swear in these films, though? Not very often. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're PG-13 uh, films. Maybe exactly. Maybe Cap is playing so the role of the emotion of the uh, I see board. this. I see this entirely as, uh, a, I think, a well-executed shorthand for what, uh, for what we see a lot of in this scene, which is establishing that these characters didn't... How do I put this? Avengers didn't end just before the beginning of this film. A lot has happened in between the two films, mm -hmm. which is primarily them getting to know each other, learning uh, how they work together as a team, and forming friendship dynamics. Yeah. Uh, we, we see several examples of them uh, executing maneuvers of two of them, like two Avengers together, will combine their powers in a way that we haven't seen before. Uh, Thor hitting Captain America's hammer so that instead of just like pounding down, he can use a directional shot, which is not something that Thor ever really does by himself. Uh, uh, the Scarlet Witch and Hulk dynamic. And so we have examples of how they fight together, but also just the dialogue that they have with each other. And this is a perfect example of uh, Cap being kind of the, the more uh, parental uh, leader figure where he, he has an instinct for uh, the way that he would behave, which does not apply, and he is embarrassed at having said that. I, I understand what you're it, saying, and I don't think that there's anything that you're saying that is untrue, but just when I was watching it, it didn't read that way for me. It read as very kind okay. of flippant, quippy Hollywood yeah. writing. Yeah. Okay, I laughed out loud. So, and I think there are other. I mean, there are other examples of that from uh, from lots of the characters in the film. And I mean, I'm, one one moment that like really it stuck with me when I first watched the film when it was in theaters and it stuck with me again. And there's not necessarily a bad line. I think it's genuinely funny, but um, is um, when uh, Linda Cardellini's uh, character, I guess, Laura uh, Barton's, you know, wife in, in the sort of middle uh, farmhouse uh, mm -hmm. sequence, uh, she says, I fully, you know, I fully support your avenging or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where it's like, yeah, that's kind of funny, but... <laughs> It's, it's sort of like, I don't know, a yeah. sort of symbol crash moment that it felt very much like what you were saying, Stefan, of like the authorial expressivity of, of yeah. Joss Whedon, like being right there on the surface. I mean, to jump off something Derek said earlier, he described this idea of sort of artificial tension. And I feel like that's a big problem that I have with this movie in general. Like, I we'll, we'll, obviously we'll talk more about Ultron uh, later and, you know, I think he's very much indicative of this problem that Marvel has with, or had for a long time with weak villains. But I feel like a lot of sort of his motivating factors just feel very artificial and not really earned. Well, that's because he is artificial. Oh. Yeah, but like, but, like, but in a, not in I, a good I know way. what you mean. I just, yeah, yeah. I yeah, could yeah. not resist. <laughs> All right. So like his, his modus operandi is uh, that the Avengers are, you know, like fundamentally a force of evil or like a force of chaos. Mm -hmm. And I could understand if it was like Tony Stark, this man must be stopped. But the fact that he like somehow manages to go like Captain America, you must be stopped. Just it's the fact that it becomes about the Avengers and not just Tony. I don't understand where he makes that leap. 
I don't think it is about the Avengers. It's about humanity itself and how they're the destructive force. And the Avengers are the ones who defend humanity. So they are the symbolic representation of humanity, but also the primary thing that he has to get through in order to destroy humanity. So let's let, we're, we're going to come back to this because there's a lot of Ultron conversation to happen, happen. But let's get to the first real plot point of the film, which is <laughs> uh, so they break into the base. First of 20. Tony Stark, uh, for some reason, climbs out of his Iron Man armor in a hostile war zone. Well, it's, um, it's, he's, he it's put it in sentry mode, which it's, is very symbolic. Oh, it's true. Um, and we do we do meet the Iron Legion for the first time, which is a logical extension of all of kind of the automated Iron Man stuff we've seen in the previous films. It once uh, you blew up and then just inexplicably rebuilt, I guess. Yeah, he's <laughs> on, a, on at least two occasions. At least two occasions he's done this. Um, um, but he goes down into the basement of. <laughs> I make it sound like a rumpus room. He goes down into Strucker's <laughs> rumpus room. It's, it's the secret, the secret chamber. Yeah, this is. Man I feel like this cave. is symbolic of of yeah. Tony's whole thing in this film. Yeah. That what he really wants to do, he wants to do the interesting he research. Really wants stuff. to be a supervillain, <laughs> and he doesn't want to have to do so the actual Iron Man guarding stuff. He would prefer yeah. to create an artificial. Iron Man that could do all of the heavy lifting responsibility mm-hmm. stuff while he does the fun uh, basement research. So he goes down into into Strucker's fun basement. Uh, he finds uh, Loki's scepter there, and then the Scarlet w- uh, along with a bunch of like half finished robot bodies. And then the Scarlet Witch uses her nebulous and ill defined powers to show him energy. Bit, yeah, to Something. show. What are you talking about? She's weird. Yeah, she's got. Yeah, she's got weird powers. He's fast and she's weird. How much more explanation do you need, Stefan? Yep. She's the first character that we encounter in this in the MCU who has like a supernatural kind of ability, right? Um, let me think. I think so. It depends on how you want to define Thor, because I think yeah. later. Later Thor Thor things have basically imply that they might be more supernatural than they've been letting on. So that's, but at that's least exp- at least explicit yeah. like as a, as framed a this. Way. But like I think a lot of a lot of Thor's powers are like you know conducting electricity in ways that are supernatural, yeah. but like still fundamentally. I would say, but Heimdall's relationship to the hammer is certainly kind of an yeah, inexplicable from a scientific perspective. I would argue okay. Heimdall that has to do with morality. Right. And anyway, well, certainly, so certainly so the first Earth. Based uh, mm-hmm. Marvel MCU character who is yep. you know mm-hmm. not like outside the sort of realm of rational scientific sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. So Scarlet, uh, Scarlet Witch uses yeah. her weird yeah. powers to give Tony Stark a vision of all of his friends being killed mm-hmm. uh, that really haunts him, and he grabs Loki's scepter and he's going to take it with him, and he takes it with him back to the Avengers Tower. Oh, also uh, Hawkeye got uh, injured during the uh, storming the base, uh, and they're basically three D printing a new torso for him. Um, <laughs> on yep. the way back to the base, where uh, uh, I think there's a really important scene here when Scarlet Witch interacts with Tony's mind because mm-hmm. you see a lot happening on her face. She has several different reactions pretty quickly. Uh, one of which is clearly kind of horror, which I think is her recognizing that Tony, because uh, she's never interacted with him before, she only knows him as the name on the missile before, mm-hmm. and then his reputation, and she sees that he actually is trying to be a good guy that the horrific thing for him is that he might not live up to his own capabilities. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, but then she's also very pleased at seeing that he is going to go for the scepter because 
Well, that's, that's the thing. I think I'm more, apart question. from some weird accent choices, I think Elizabeth Olsen generally gives a pretty good performance in this. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I will say the Sokovian accent, as proven by both this movie and later Civil War, is whatever the actor playing the Sokovian damn well Vague, feels like. Vaguely Eastern European. Yeah. In the same way, the Wakandan accent is um, fake. Yeah. I think I think the, I think a lot more work went into the Wakandan accent. Than yes, I think they may have learned their so, lesson from the Sokovian accent. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, also, I think probably like politically, like it would be you know, yeah. If they're if they're doing a cartoony African accent, that's going to go over way worse than cartoony. Eastern <laughs> also, European. probably true. No one's going to bat. Yeah. An, no one's going to bat an eye at a bad Eastern European accent. Yes. <laughs> what does uh, a good Eastern European accent sound like? Uh, blah. Please don't be angry at us, Hungary. We love you, Hungary. <laughs> yeah, historical home, of, historical home of the count, Hungary. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, so we're back. You're talking about Count Chocula, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um. We're back Fame at the counter, Count Chocula. Okay. Uh, moving on. We're, then we get to the title cards. Yeah, we get the title card. <laughs> then we're back at uh, at Avengers headquarters. Uh, we we've gotten like some in transit stuff. Hawkeye's getting his torso reprinted, and uh, also the world got light again. World is light now. Bruce Banner <laughs> is listening to classical music through his Beats headphones, uh, which seemed like <laughs> yep. a strange out of character choice. <laughs> it's a totally subtle, not at all immersive breaking uh, product placement. Yep. Are you gonna put in a cash register sound there, Stephen? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Um, that would yeah. work in some South Korean uh, co-production pandering. Yep, yep, uh, because this is a South Korean Back co-production, thanks to the presence of important Marvel character Helen Cho, um, who is yes, responsible one for, I the, know. for the 3D torso printing. Uh, we end up back at the Avengers Tower, and uh, Tony has about three days before Thor goes back to uh, to Asgard with Loki's scepter, and he decides to use that time to study the scepter. And he, because w- Tony Stark has never met a dangerous piece of technology he doesn't like. God damn it, Tony! And he discovers an artificial intelligence in the scepter that he uh, convinces Bruce Banner they need to use to create Ultron, which is his proposed world defense force essentially turning the iron legion into an autonomous uh way to defend the planet can i pause that, for a second can i pause for a second here? because this is something that i found very confusing when i first saw the movie and remained confused um the thing that tony finds upon the gym uh which is the mind gym mm-hmm. um is it is, does he find the artificial intelligence on the gym or does he find something on the gym which he's going to use to build Ultron, his artificial intelligence. And this is something that really bugged me because I was very confused at this point. What is the difference between Jarvis and an artificial intelligence? Because for my for my purposes, my entire understanding of Jarvis the entire time up to this point was that Jarvis was functionally an artificial intelligence in all ways that I mattered. My understanding was that Jarvis is an artificial intelligence, but an artificial intelligence that like is not at a human level. 
Like he's he's high, but like you know he's you know I don't know like yeah, he's level he's artificial intelligence. He's twenty third degree blackberry. Smarter than Siri. Well, I mean, and, and, but yeah, like what exactly is the mind gem itself? A artificial intelligence that seems to be what the dialogue between Tony and um, uh, the Hulk is uh, about, but like it doesn't. It I don't understand why that would be point. the case. And I think yeah, I, I had. I had taken it that Jarvis was, you know, a deep learning algorithm that Tony had fundamentally designed and he couldn't, he couldn't or would not break out of that sort of uh, programmed structure because That's he didn't like have any autonomous element. is blocky and, and Ultron's is shooting. <laughs> yeah. Jarvis is important. yellow. The mind of this movie is, is yellow. What's not to understand, Patrick? It's blue. Uh, I just, well, the reason and I said this is that the, uh, the energy in the mind gem is an energy that it's, you know, whatever this fundamental energy is that you find in any of the gems. Yeah. And but it's an energy that looks like a human brain, according to Bruce Banner. Right. Like, I, I was just yeah. The, this point just confused me on two levels. Like one, I was trying to understand like is did did this did the energy from the gym create the programming, or was Ultron inside the gym whole, the whole time they pulled him out? I think and, it's the, the former, definitely. Yeah, I think it's that the former. He taps the because what we see here is Tony having a child with mm. that he's he's got his firstborn Bruce. Jarvis, ah. the, the child that he made. Uh, and then he's got this foreign energy, which, without the team's permission, he touches to this uh, uh, this Mason program, as it were. And it creates this whole new thing that he had no... Uh, I'll buy that. No that makes more sense probably, to me. The, probably the right interpretation. That makes sense to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, sort so of and funneling, more the mind, about that funneling the Mind Gems energy into mm-hmm. an AI. Yeah, because it's... It's thing. a complex energy that we on Earth have not encountered before, have right. no experience with. Yeah, so, the, the Infinity Gems, I'm actually, all, one thing, I will say this, the Infinity Gems don't make sense, but I'm always, I'm weirdly okay with that, because I think they, they conceptually They're should beyond not. beyond human comprehension. Yeah. Right. They're like, beyond the structures of our mere plot. And- like, you, you mean that this, like, this this little gem-like thing uh, that is an infinite power that's beyond any human understanding does, doesn't really make sense to you? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually conceptually always okay with the idea that, like, they're not going to make sense because they're just too goddamn weird for anyone to understand. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's so far beyond us. Also, it's a made-up thing. Yes, yeah. that too. Vibranium doesn't exist either, so you know there you go. Wait a minute, monster! How dare you? So we've got. Uh, we then get a little montage of Tony and Banner uh, using impractical Marvel computer effects to analyze this thing, and finally, What's impractical they, about this? they give up and they walk away. And mere seconds after they walk away, <laughs> uh, everything starts working, and the mellifluous tones of James Spader greet us and greet uh, well he was already the voice of the iron legion right i think i think we had already heard iron some i I thought it was a robot voice i thought it was but i think uh, it's james spader doing the robot voice because i remember hearing like because the uh, i'm not sure i thought it was robert downey jr actually I I have no idea. It could be possible. I'm pretty sure that the Iron Legion was already voiced by James Spader. Well, certainly they are now. So we get uh, we get the voice of James Spader, and he watches a bunch of YouTube videos, and very quickly <laughs> decides that he needs to uh, needs to do something. So he kills Jarvis, uh, yeah. and then we cut away to a I fun love that conversation event. that they have. Though. Oh yeah, it's really good. What a shocking twist! An AI immediately just decides to destroy the uh, humanity. I've never seen that yeah, Sorry, don't, I don't mean to interrupt, um, uh, but Nick Bester is right. James Spader yes! was the voice of the Iron Legion. All right, score one for nice. Bester. 
Uh-huh. How did you learn that? There was no way we could possibly have known that if we didn't already know. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. Googled it. So we cut over to... Uh, I, I know Kate Spader's voice. Yeah. The uh, Avengers. Those, 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 those dulcet tones. We cut to the Avengers having a fun party scene. Woo, party. Where they got all their, all their cool friends are there. And, yeah, Stan uh, Lee's there. Don Cheadle is Thor oh, juice. Don Cheadle's telling we, stories that people aren't impressed the, by. The piece in our timeline. Yep. Uh, there, yeah. There were two, that's, t- that's a good sign. Yeah, Tony, when someone quotes Neville Chamberlain. Yeah, t- Tony, first he says, peace in her time. And then, and then, and then he says, uh, one of my favorite lines in the movie, don't give me the man was not meant to meddle medley. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, so, his, and his vision is to like encase the earth in like a sh- in a suit of armor. I'm like, that's not ominous. It's patently a supervillain well, idea, but it's also exactly how he sees protection because that's how, where his superpower comes from. And the thing that yeah. saved his life was encasing I, his own body in a suit of armor. It's, it's just the way yeah, he thinks. It's pretty Victor Von I get it. Oh, but absolutely. Like, I think that Tony is the second villain in this film. Yeah, that's probably fair. <laughs> of like five. Well, I guess quick because. We've got Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. We've got Baron von Monocle. Wolfgang uh, von Drucker. There you go. No, like Monocle's got to be his middle name, right? Yeah. I mean, I can't just be making that up. We got uh, I got that impression somewhere. Ulysses. Yeah, he's later. But I think Tony is the, is the next one. We've got we'll Ultron see. sort of horde then of Ultron. mini Ultrons. Yeah, Moltrons. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we, ha- we have this party scene where all the Avengers like get drunk and they flirt and they all try to lift. Uh, War Machine story. We get the War Machine story where no one's impressed <laughs> by Don Cheadle, which is really sad. Something I'd, I'd be super impressed by Don Cheadle. We that, have Stan Lee. The story plays really well with other people. Clearly, yeah. he's got good War Machine stories. Stan Lee plays a yeah, just World not to anyone who's like apparently he, level. Um, I is he a World? Was he actually a vet? That would make sense. Uh, he's right age Who? to be Stan Lee. He has the right age to be. Uh, I don't know. It wouldn't shock me. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, Stan Lee uh, gets crunk uh, on some... It's, it's uh, possible that Jack Kirby gorgeous. was a vet and Stan Lee took credit for it. Um, oh, wait, no, wait, wait. I've got, I, have the, I actually have the answer. He was in the Signal Corps. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Oh, right. uh, everyone tries to lift Thor's hammer. Uh, no one can. Captain America budges it a little bit. Yeah. And then Thor uh, tells everyone that they're not worthy. Because uh, he's, uh, he's kind of a duck. Yeah. yeah. I feel like half of this movie is about... is uh, Characters face reactions like there's people's reaction shots in this do so much work i'm sure that's true in every film but i feel like it's really happening a lot in this film thor's face when captain america budges the hammer is is priceless i i i love that i I, chris hemsworth's face is an underused thing sometimes there are a ton of like little character moments throughout this movie that i love i just don't like the overall plot and speaking, oh, of I think the, it's... speaking of the overall plot, we're gonna this, we're gonna disagree on this. Bruce yeah. Banner and Natasha, because we we're skipping over that. Really, okay, do, do you want like do you want to do you want to talk about Bruce Banner and Natasha, or do you want to talk about the shambling death bot? Uh, I think oh, we should do oh, Bruce Banner what? and Natasha first, because yeah. uh, right. that's right before the uh, the hammer scene. But All right, so let's the, talk about that. I love that they're essentially having two different conversations here, where Natasha's talking about how how much she's into Bruce. And how he's the the only one who's different from anyone else on the team, different from people that she knows, the and the one, one that she can identify with. Monster. Well, the <laughs> only one who has a monster inside of himself that he's constantly trying to keep in check, the same way that she does. Uh, and he just does not seem to be getting this at all because he's nope. totally self-absorbed. <laughs> nope, I do love that. Yeah, 
and yeah. then uh who is it that comes up and and says i think it's is cap. It cap or yeah, yeah who after after his relationship with natasha is established in winter soldier uh and or you know lack of relationship you could say uh yeah. very you, you would kind of expect that she would I guess the, the easy thing would be to pair her off either with Hawkeye or with Cap thus far, but I feel like a much more subtle and uh, skilled interpretation of these characters does it does make sense for her to be attracted to Hulk because he is the only one that does not want to have anything to do with the thing that he is good at, uh, just like she does. Yeah. Uh, we'll and, talk about that. Yeah, like well, when we get to, when we get to our big monster speech, I have a lot of issues with that, but like mm-hmm. the, just the the fundamental idea of Natasha and Bruce together, I have no problems with it. How many different perfect. characters in this film have a monster speech? Because I know there's at least two or three. <laughs> Let's well, I mean, where they use the word speech, monster. I have a lot of thoughts. Well, I mean, I like, know. I will say this: Marvel characters, as a rule, have monster speeches. Like, it's kind of we're kind of lucky that Daredevil wasn't in this because, like, <laughs> would have you know, someone speech. would start having a monster speech, and Matt would just have got taken that and run with it, and the entire movie would just been one long monster speech. Well, from I mean, that's, that's Fair just enough. kind but of... Tony that's, has that's a representation of just normal human life, though. Like, I, when I go get groceries, <laughs> I give a monster speech. Did you find everything you wanted oh. today? Yes, especially the monster inside of me. <laughs> uh, uh, sir, sir, I see you're checking out 500 Ferrero Rochers. <laughs> you thought you would be the monster in this building. <laughs> There's a monster at the end of this express aisle. <laughs> yeah, and it's just one of those curved mirrors that they have at the end of the aisle. <laughs> you can see around the corner. <laughs> That's the monster. Uh, they do kind of make you look like a hunchback. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's it's anyway, th- yeah, through the mirror darkly. We we see the monster monsters. inside of us. Anyway, uh, so we have uh, we have the the drunken avenger scene. And then suddenly, God, the hammer, it's one of the funniest things I feel like I've ever seen. <laughs> the hammer scene's good, but then we have uh, James Spader makes his his debut proper as a shambling, asymmetrical uh, Iron Legion robot. Stumbles into the room and immediately begins giving uh, what I thought was probably the creepiest and most effective uh, piece of dialogue that Ultron has in the entire film. Like this is the only scene in the film where I thought Ultron was remotely interesting or threatening. And I think it's because, really? yeah, and I, I think it's, part of it is the tone of the speech, which is genuinely kind of unhinged, but I think a big part of it's actually the, the character design. Um, yeah, I don't, I do not like what Ultron turns into later. Like, yeah. it's, it's not nearly as threatening. Yeah, in this, it's, you don't see his eyes, and his mouth does not move. So it, it really does come across as this mm-hmm. very disconnected dead alien creature. And when he becomes kind of his his refined robot self later, where he's even got, like, freaking teeth, um, mm-hmm. he, he looks like, oh, he's a CGI creation. And it's... Yeah, and I actually, creepy. I like that. Because it feels like, like, what he looks like later in the film is more like a bodybuilder who spends all of his time in the gym. Which is how... <laughs> A, a cliche masculine vision sees itself as looking powerful and threatening, but to which most people outside of that person just see as like self-absorbed and narcissistic. And what he is initially is like a weird bastard child of this like egotistical maniac and uh, this unknowable energy force. I just think that's so uh, much more interesting. I think it's really important. So that much creepier. To see I completely agree with you, but I think that it's realistic and interesting that Ultron 
in trying to look more impressive and frightening becomes less interesting. I feel it would work if it weren't for the fact that, and we can talk about this more when we get to it, that like he, he, Ultron has a very serious threat level problem in this movie, at yeah. least to me. I never, I never get the impression that he's ever really that much of a threat to, in, in, in most, except for the first scene, in a lot of the scenes he's in, Particularly, I guess, I don't believe that he's an Avengers-level threat. And the, yeah. and the problem is, the way that he's set up at the beginning of the film, he absolutely should be. Like, there, there is... This film should have ended at the, uh, at the Avengers Tower scene, because Ultron should have destroyed the world while the Avengers were having their party. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he doesn't, and then spends the rest of the film kind of... I mean, he spends a lot of this film just kind of dicking around. Uh, yeah, yeah, I no, mean, uh, no, we're no, we're ostensibly meant to believe that that Ultron has like basically an information nuke over over the Avengers, right? Eventually, it turns into like literal nuclear launch codes, which is like a, a move that the script makes. That it's like you know, there's there's a much more interesting way to I think do this. Yeah. This is this is one thing that kind of bugs me about about Ultron as a character and just the the you know, like you guys were saying, the threat level he poses, you know, there's all sorts of interesting opportunities, you know, in, in getting to, you know, the idea of like artificial intelligence and like the singularity and all of this stuff that, uh, and, and the film makes a kind of pretense of getting really like philosophical and like hard sci-fi about this, but it doesn't actually, it's sort it's sort of like expressed in you know Ultron's witty lines you know it's it's not at the plot itself is not um, kind of organized around the idea of you know the ultimate threat that Ultron poses which is you know having like complete awareness and information and you know this yeah. kind of totalizing power instead he yeah, goes he, and buys vibranium right yeah like he's well, yeah, cuz he wants to make a physical body who... to house himself that no one else can hurt uh, yeah, because yeah, but also like He's set up as this villain who has, like, he lives on the internet and controls all information, and his plan is to right. pick up a giant rock and throw it at the Earth. Right, because for me, I'm Tony Stark's son, and he has a flair for the dramatic. Like, he can't just do the thing that he needs to do. He I, has to be I, kind of a snide ass about it. I, I would agree with you, dude. And, like, I, I definitely see this as an interesting idea. I think part of my problem is that I never really buy the idea that he is Tony Stark's son. Well, like he's the can... child of an unknown energy force and Jarvis, which Tony Stark programmed in his own voice. I I, I get that, but it doesn't. I don't feel like the movie ever Jarvis really is sold his voice. Jarvis yeah, Jarvis, Jarvis is voice is is absolutely kind of a wise ass. Jarvis, honestly, okay, but like, like not, but it's not literally his voice. I, I no, I mean oh, it's it's Jar- programmed in the voice of his inner monologue Dude. in his speech patterns. I don't mean his actual literal like speaking voice. Dude, what okay. you're saying again, I think is it's absolutely what the intent was on paper. But it, mm-hmm. it just, I don't think it comes across in the film nearly no. as strongly as it needs to to really be effective. And I, mean, it's I, like... I feel like that might be something that comes from watching it multiple times, at least for me. Because I, I felt the first time that I watched this in the theaters that, well, I feel like this is a movie that my reactions to have, have changed every time I've seen it. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I will say, I, I don't, I don't, I've I only don't... seen it twice and I didn't like it either time. Okay, well, the second time it sounds like you didn't really watch it. I mean, well, I... I one thing I'll say is I don't I don't think that the the film you know utterly fails with regard to to Ultron and sort of the nature of his threat. I mean I think there is um, 
a compelling moment near the end um, as, you know, Sokovia is being lifted off and basically all, all of the, you know, iron Legion bots or whatever, you know, bots that Ultron has built um, are kind of fleeing, uh, fleeing the, the floating, you know, Sokovia Island and the Avengers are like, we can't let them get away. Not, not even, even one. Like the yeah. nature of that, like that nanite, like omnipresent, virus that is Ultron and his consciousness to me the film could have done so much more with that and yet like you guys said they turn him into a into a bodybuilder who punches people <laughs> I and I feel like this is actually the only Marvel film that has a truly terrifying villain because conceptually it's, it's only one terrifying. with a with a re, well I think it all there are it, it turns into two types of uh villainous forces i think aside from like the internal strife of the team there's artificial intelligence and then he creates or he turns it into a natural disaster film with the meteor uh idea and both of those things are that are concepts in the real world that i find actually scary and most marvel films have you know a, a super villain type of character that seems Open so unrealistic that it doesn't bother me at all uh, <laughs> kills people but artificial intelligence is like a real step. threat uh but i Part of my, I, I will say this part of my reaction comes from the fact that I, I recently watched um, not this year's season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but last year's season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which also dealt with artificial intelligence. It was a major it was a major arc of the show. Um, and I felt like they kind of tackled this very idea in a much more interesting fashion. Ghost Rider was there, too. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the yeah sober, mature content of Ghost Rider really makes us uh, think about our souls. I, I will say this: it's not. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't Johnny Blaze. I think they very made a very active decision to not go with Johnny Blaze. Afford Nick Cage. Aww. Well, I mean, no one would be able you to play Johnny Nick Blaze Cage. as well as Nick Cage would. So yeah. Also, oh, you what? can afford Nick Cage for like fifteen dollars these days. He's not going. Yeah. But also, it leaves the door open to bring. Nick Cage's Johnny Blaze yeah. into the MCU. Established yes. as existing. We see him at one point, but we just see <laughs> Fiery Skull Johnny Blaze. So we don't know who he looks like with the Fiery Skull gone. For all well, of then I choose to believe that it's Nick Cage. Does he look like Nick Cage now or like Nick Cage 10 years ago? That's the only real question. Nick Cage 10 years ago looks more like Nick Cage now than he does Nick Cage 30 years ago. That's true. Yeah. He aged and also, in like, he's kind of like Dangerous. Nick Cage with like CGI abs and uh, yeah, which looks like they were uh, drawn on fair. with a freaking sharpie. <laughs> forgot no, Bangkok Dangerous was ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Ugh. how we all measure the passage of time. There, there was that was the there was BBD and ABD. ABD. This guy's <laughs> getting kind of old. <laughs> his hairline looked drastically different in that film than it did in a lot. Yes, of yes, his hairline. I believe that's the movie where they. Uh, where the famous picture of him and his ridiculous hair is from. Oh, my hair is a bird. Your point is invalid. Yeah. I think that's a fun. It's either that or one or the second uh, national treasure. I would need to look at the costume. Okay, so uh, we, <laughs> we have Ultron. He shows up. There's a fight. He makes vague threats. He goes back to Sokovia. He inhabits robot bodies. He recruits Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Uh, there's an argument between the Avengers about Tony. Why did you meddle in God's domain? And Tony's like, I had to meddle in God's domain. God, he's so unsympathetic. What is his metaphor? It's or his his uh, analogy. It's like, what if this is Earth's bouncer? Like everybody's trying to get in the club, and what if? <laughs> it's like, come on. 
<laughs> uh, he's rolling up in the club. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and again, it's, it's not like he's wrong. Like, yes, he's right to think that uh, like alien threats are going to be, you know, the big the big issue here. But Jesus Christ, man! I, uh, I, I guess think one thing that sorry, dude, just sorry. no, dude, go 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 ahead, dude. I'm sorry. Uh, we skipped over the prima nocta joke, um, which <laughs> oh, I yeah. was the I apologize was the me. first. It, it, there were like when this movie came out, I feel like I saw like four or five things that were really controversial or like a lot of debate about. And uh, like the, the monster or Scarlet, Scarlet, Witch. Uh, I meant to say Scarlet Johansson, but I was trying to say black widows, monster speech, the prima nocta joke. Then like uh, the relationship between Hulk and uh, black widow and the presence of Hawkeye's family. I feel like were the four that I saw a lot of people complain about. Yeah. Um, and the Prima Nocta joke, I felt like the first time I thought, okay, this just fits with Tony's character. Like, this is the kind of thing that he would say. The The second time I thought, well, you know what? It It's about, it's like the last thing that Tony does really before Ultron appears. So it's it's kind of an example of, oh, this is Tony's joke. overreaching. What's that? I don't even when he when he's pulling, oh. when he's attempting to move the th- the hammer, he asks, "If I move this hammer, do I get to be king of Asgard?" Uh, Thor says, "Of course." He's like, "I'll be reinstituting yeah. Nocta. Yeah, and so I thought, okay, well, there's a the film is like punishing him because he makes this joke uh, about him overreaching, and then immediately Ultron appears. But the third time I watched it, I realized he has already instituted Nocta. Uh Nocta, as I recall, is it, it's it's when the king uh, takes a a woman on her wedding night so that he can impregnate her uh, or has the first opportunity to impregnate her so that their offspring will be his own instead of the father's or instead of the husband's. Correct. I mean, that is that purportedly is exactly, what it is though. That, yes. Though that is not a thing that ever happened. It's apparently a complete I, myth. I believe <laughs> Excuse me, but I've seen Braveheart and I know <laughs> historically accurate. It was a documentary that was filmed in, in real, real time. time. And also Highlander. there were magic clips. Highland, Braveheart. Uh, I mean, and that, this is exactly those. what Tony has done metaphorically. They they captured the scepter. Uh, they've brought it back. He has touched. He has. Uh, used it to create an offspring with his artificial intelligence, which then creates a bastard child. Uh, and then that thing becomes the offspring that, you know, tries to destroy the world. All right. Like very okay. literally or not very literally. But, and you that's know, like, why paper's not in this movie. Metaphorically. Yep. It's clearly a constructed part of the script. Uh, all right. Like, okay. That's okay. the moment. Okay. That is I, ap- that. All I apologize right. for skipping over the prima nocta joke. Um, I mean, did that did that make sense to you guys? It, it, when made, I, it made sense. I, it's all, it also, I think, is reading a lot into uh, what know, is I, also a a silly Tony Stark comment. Oh no! I, I, don't, I, I don't. Given how much, I would also say, given how much this movie got edited and shuffled around, I'm a little too. I, I personally am a little. I mean, I you guys know me. I'm always reluctant to ascribe too much motive to any one person, partially just out of a job thing, um, but. Given how much this movie was kind of edited and cut around, I'm reluctant to assume that there was too much construction going on in, in that sort of form. Like, it, it may have been, I will concede that, like, maybe in the editing room, someone thought that worked out after the fact, but there, there was a lot that was cut, ch- chopped up around this film. Oh, I mean, I feel like this is, it, it couldn't be more clear from, like, an authorial intent. Because I also... They, 
I also oh. don't think it matters that much. Like, not to dig too much into it, but we got a lot of movie to get through. <laughs> I, I know. I just, I want to, there was another thing. This is like the, the, this is the end of what I would consider like the first of four okay. acts. Yeah. And this is a really important moment to me because when they get back to the ship uh, after they've captured the scepter, it's clear that to the Avengers, this is the end of their mission. Yeah. This is like the thing that they've been working for since the first film to get this scepter back, right? Uh, yeah. And there's that old saying about uh, uh, comedies end with a wedding, tragedies begin with a wedding. Like if, if the movie opens with ev- with the team accomplishing their goal, this is not going to be like yeah, yeah. it's not the end of the story. Yeah, there needs and, to be a reversal of fortunes. Yes. Uh, so to to Thor, he's about to head home. To everyone else, they've like they've gotten the monster back under control that had been released by the events of the first film. So if you see the bride as the scepter, the wedding as the reunion with the scepter that they have been working for, and the the use of that of this all powerful gem uh, to create the child that Tony has been wanting to create, this artificial intelligence that can act as the sentry for the world, uh, then he and the fact that he does it without the team's permission uh, is essentially a rape. That he he takes his own uh, volition over this thing to use it how he wants to, and the thing that happens is this monstrous creation, which happens again later in the film as it loops around. Uh, so I feel and like it's it all, very all clearly again. like, what's that? And he just fucking does it all over again, but it works out. He's not. Time. Yeah, he's still a villain. He just happens to do it right the second time because other people are there too. So who can say uh, what's really villainous, Stooge? If uh, the second time it works out. Anyway, well, we're, we're operating in a post Winter Soldier world where the bad guys can have villains among them. Anyway, we uh, so Ultron's back in Sokovia. Uh, the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver join up with him because they see a giant killer evil robot and they're like, "Ah, it seems all right. He's better than Tony Stark." And importantly, um, and importantly, Scarlet Witch cannot read his mind yet. Can't read his mind yet. And Which then they mean? they go off to uh, to Wakanda. Uh, to, no, South Africa. Okay, yeah, yeah, a Waka- yeah, yeah, a Wakanda adjacent area cool. to meet with uh, Andy Serkis. Not playing not Andy really. Serkis does not play a CGI monster in this film. Instead, he plays a normal man. Um, he plays a CGI uh, Andy Serkis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andy Serkis. <laughs> CGI Andy Serkis over there. Yeah, they <laughs> had to actually get him in the motion capture suit to be himself. It's the only way he knows how to act. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he <laughs> was. That's actually a mask he's wearing. He was. He was. He was uh, he did a lot of consulting on this movie for the rest of the uh, yeah, motion capture. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, yeah, I mean, that's he actually has a school for it. Like that's where yes, his, most of his income thing. comes from. Yes, I've written a paper on it. It's one of my published piece. Yeah, I did not know that. So you're 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 the uh, the world's foremost authority on Andy Serkis's mocap school for gifted youngsters. <laughs> I wouldn't call myself the foremost expert, but you know it's it was in my it, the paper was mainly on Robert Zemeckis and his performance capture. But yeah, there's a bit on uh, we will. Serkis in there. Mm-hmm. You may not call you yourself. Probably that, say we that will. you're this podcast's foremost expert. Yeah. Oh, easily. Oh, okay, yeah. Easily. I will say I am the world's foremost expert on that time Fabio got hit in the face with a bird. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. If I, I have my phone on that. me, I could text you a photo of that right now because I have it on my phone for use at any time. <laughs> well, good. Emergencies just such as this one. Uh, Dude, I I cited I have cited you in papers for <laughs> because of this. So we go to uh, we go to South Africa uh, where Ultron meets with Andy Circus uh, to buy vibranium. 
Uh, he spends several billion dollars on vibranium. Uh, then the Avengers show up. There's a little fight scene where all of the Avengers get uh, weird Scarlet Witch-induced character beats where uh, Captain America imagines himself back in World War II and uh, uh, feels regret over people not being there dead. for Peggy, but people are oh, still Peggy. dead. Well, he also, I mean, he sees that people are like, have wounds even at home after the war. Like, he can't get away from war. Yep. And then, uh, it's like a metaphor. We get, we get uh, Scarlet Witch flashing back to her, uh, her training and indoctrination. We are having uh, so much trouble with Black Widow and Scarlet Witch. Fuck, to, it is Black Widow. Uh, Black Widow. Scarlet yeah. Johansson Witch. Um, it's very Scarlet different. Scarlet Widow. Yeah, Scarlet Widow. Anyway, Black she, Witch. Yeah, she, she Witch has, Johansson. There's two redheads. Just work it out, people. Yeah. No, there are two Johansons. Which one are we talking about? Uh, They're in Johannesburg. God yeah. damn it. That <laughs> <laughs> all comes back around. Johansson. I thought it was Johannesburg. It Johannesburg. might be. I don't know. I don't know. Look, they, they're in Cape Town. Uh, Thor has visions of Ragnarok that look nothing like the Ragnarok we experience in the next Thor film. Nope. Well, that had not yeah. even a little. It, this is clearly but back I think it's, when it's they important were... that this was clearly uh, back when the direction of the Thor films was still like, yeah, we'll make another Thor Dark World instead of we'll let Taika Waititi make a film. Oh, I'm so uh, glad. Oh, my God. What good, if they had actually made that movie? Good it would change have been terrible. in direction. Yes. <laughs> terrible. Uh, the, I, I think the important thing here is that, uh, is it Heimdall or someone says that yeah, yeah. Uh, Ragnarok has been brought around by, brought about by Thor's power or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that like, he's he, he's yeah, responsible he, for it. Which also... What is... Which, which is the case in Thor Ragnarok as well, but... but uh, yeah, well, that's, it's also, like, his big fear. I mean, it's in everyone in this film who has a yeah. superpower, or at least each of the Avengers that we start out with, is afraid of their own power in some fashion. Tony's yeah. afraid of not using it as well as he could. Mm-hmm. Hulk is afraid of what's inside him, as is uh, Black Widow. I uh, mean, that, that, that's a pretty standard thing for... Yeah. Superheroes, in particular, for Marvel superheroes. Yeah. I, I would say, say that. Yeah. It's a but it's, it's a repeating theme throughout Hawkeye's this film. Hawkeye's not afraid of his power. It's a little he ain't afraid of no ghosts. No, he's afraid that his power is going to kill him. Or like him having out. to use his power as a responsibility is going to separate him from the rest of his family. Yep. I will he's, argue, though. I, he's this scared is, of his new superpower abs. There is something a little bit odd about Thor being afraid of his power. And I, the reason I say this is that everyone else did not was not born with their powers. It was given to them either through training or through science experiments or whatever. Um, Thor is just like this. Like, he was just born, you know, being bonkers. He's also too stupid to be afraid of his power. I mean, he's he's afraid that that unleashing his... He's afraid of the extent of his powers, that that unleashing the extent of his powers could destroy his people. That, in fact, he was born to destroy his people. Mm -hmm. He's afraid of what, you know, his his place in destiny is. Uh, uh, okay, I'm gonna get this right. Scarlet Witch also tries to uh, show Hawkeye a horrifying vision, but he's too slick for that. Jansen Arrow into not this time. He's been through it. it. Um, (laughs) And then Scarlet Witch sets off the Hulk, and the Hulk goes on a rampage, and we get a moment where, uh, or an extended fight scene where Tony Stark debuts a new line of toys that will uh, (laughs) target. I, I like the Hulkbuster concept and execution, but it does very much feel like, ah, set piece, we can make toys. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, 
pretty fun fight sequence, and then all of the Avengers are basically in shambles, and they're on their Quinjet, and they're on the run from Ultron, and they're all feeling feeling pretty bad. And there's a public backlash yeah. against them for basically destroying an African city. Oh no! Yeah, and I feel like this is a good payoff for what was set up set up in the beginning by the looking at things from the perspective of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver that yeah. they they see the Avengers as bad guys, and here we get to see the destructive uh, mm-hmm. power that they bring almost anywhere they go. It's totally rational to look at the Hulk and be scared. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's scary. Yep. Mm-hmm. But there's also, there's also a part of it, like particularly like everybody like sort of shell shocked going home. It feels sort of so, so paint by numbers. This is how you write a screenplay. Yep. There has to be this the midpoint reversal. Point. Yeah. Yeah. This, there has to be that dark moment, midpoint reversal. And mm-hmm. like this is the middle of the second act. Uh, I, I don't know exactly timing but i, I would call this the end of the second act yeah i'd say yeah. it's, a, it's a four act structure um well, the second act usually is two acts really there's, yeah, a, there's yeah. a first half and a second half i, I always like, write as though the second act is two acts myself yeah i mean it, it, it's it's kind of academic whether or not you want to divide them into two or three mm-hmm. yeah it's it's just, that's just a personal thing of how i outline do you believe sid field or kristen thompson basically that's the uh, Question. I yeah. believe in Blake Snyder. <laughs> like the, the well, let's guy. let's let's agree that there is a turn here. That there the direction that they're going, literally, as well as yeah. uh, I mean, this is also it's it's the end of like the first loop of the film. I would say yeah. uh, everything's bad, and then they they're go, gonna hooper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they go. They go uh, uh, they'll put some unnecessary. Necessary uh, makeup on Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It will be super distracting. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I did not do find it? it super distracting. <laughs> I did. It, it did. Oh, it was so distracting. Like, anyway, we can discuss that on our yeah. Looper podcast yeah. Yeah. or yeah. on our Jean-Claude Van Johnson podcast because they have a great conversation about Looper versus Time Cop. I feel like our Looper podcast, <laughs> we would record one episode and then every week just upload it again. <laughs> no, we, we could, we could like have the same conversation, like, just slightly differently. <laughs> um, anyway... You, uh, and then we could do it. We should do a memento I podcast where we're part. like we do it in reverse order. Yeah. Yes. My 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 favorite sequence in the film actually is this next part where they go back to yeah. Hawkeye's family farm yeah. and they meet yes. Hawkeye's family, his wife Linda Cardellini. Uh, Sweet. Yes. They're 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 adorable children, and we get a view of of Hawkeye's life like when he's not being an Avenger. And I want to say two things here. Mm-hmm. First of all, we get everyone. Haw- kind of Hawkeye, uh, very. Uh, very publicly kind of got the short end of the stick in the first film. And this yeah. is very much uh, an attempt to flesh him out and give him more a more substantial part in the film. Second, I love the concept uh, of what does Hawkeye do when he's not being an Avenger. Uh, I really, really loved uh, Matt Fraction. Had, Matt Fraction had a Hawkeye comic uh, for, I think it was 25 issues or so. And the explicit premise was, this is what Hawkeye does when he's not being an Avenger. And it's like he's hanging out in basically an apartment building that he owns and solving his tenants' problems and dealing, <laughs> dealing with uh, with like Russian tracksuit mobs. I, I think we need to establish, yeah. though, that the fact that Pizza Dog was not Pizza present Dog. in that farm is a crime that this Pizza completely Dog. drags down and destroys the whole movie because Pizza Dog... <laughs> you didn't have to explain what fundamentally, the fuck Pizza Dog is. Pizza Dog is a Dog. golden retriever that Hawkeye adopts who loves pizza because the golden retriever was uh, horribly mangled and Hawkeye took uh, took a liking to him. And and the dog, we sometimes get things from the dog's point of view and the dog literally refers to itself in its mind as Pizza Dog. Yeah. 
right. It's funny, Stefan, that uh, I had a similar thought because I, I was thinking of uh, Hawkeye in this movie, and it reminded me of that webcomic Chief O'Brien at work. <laughs> this is less bad than Chief O'Brien. That's the, sa- that's the saddest is- comic outside of Garfield minus Garfield. But it is true that Hawkeye is kind of the whole meaning yeah, yeah. of the Avengers. Yeah. I mean, he's that sturdy rock. He's the one who worked for his incredible skill <laughs> right. and is constantly relied on to do insane superhero things. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Because I've never seen this comic, but I feel like from just the title, I know exactly what it is. <laughs> it's, it's literally him just sitting, just him sitting in the uh, transporter room being sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, the, the Hawkeye comic is, like, every time you see Hawkeye in the comic, he is covered in bandages and just, like, held together by tape, basically. It's incredible. I've read the first, like, the first collection of that comic, and as I recall, there's, there's like, he spends a significant amount of time just in high places waiting for things to happen so that he has the right shot. Pretty much. (laughs) I mean, he he is the Avengers sniper. Like he he that's like he's at his best when you stick him up somewhere really high, and he shoots someone. He like he and the Punisher have very similar fighting philosophies, which is shoot the dude as far as possible away from them as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, like, but, and that's, and that makes sense and, and works well in comics. But like with the sort of requirements for MCU or just superhero movie style action scenes in general, you're constantly putting him in scenarios that are just fucking ridiculous for him to be fighting with a bow and arrow. Yes, and I love and- that we just get to find out that <laughs> in his downtime, he's just trying to figure out how to give his house an open concept. He's, al- yeah. he's also, like, he's, you know, got he's, two, he's got two kids who are young, but not super young, and Jeremy Renner plays him, so he's like, he's clearly probably in his early 40s. He's not quite in his prime anymore. Mm-hmm. He's got to put in a lot of work to keep his cardio up. <laughs> yeah. This is this is one thing I, I appreciate about this film, is the ways in which it sort of, like, literalizes what fans, like, fan discourse, like, you oh, know, yeah. like, you know, fans are talking about, like, sort of as, like, an in-joke, like, you know, mm-hmm. what is... What do these characters do on their downtime? Yeah, there there are various like manifestations of that. Like, what if you put Mjolnir in an elevator? Yes, that's uh, what I was going to say. That's uh, it's perfect Joss Whedon uh, yeah. dialogue. That's yeah. that's the good Joss Whedon ready. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think I think sort of Bruce and Bruce and uh, Tony sort of having mm-hmm. these weird bad scientist adventures on the yeah. side. I think yeah. also sort of fits within yeah. that. You know, the science I, I, bros I, discourse around <laughs> them. I desperately want to see. Uh, a movie that is just Tony Stark and Bruce Banner, like trying various things and failing to make them. I work. Mean, we know how it works I... out. That's kind of what this movie is. Yeah. <laughs> when when will they make the Captain America Bucky movie where they just you know lose all pretense and just fucking they fuck? <laughs> I can tell you all in confidence. Avengers Infinity War. I, <laughs> One hour of solid Bucky Cap boning. Yes. Oh, God. Could we call, call that Captain, Captain America? Captain Fucky? And Fucky. <laughs> oh, I was just Cap God. Fucky. Yeah. yeah. But uh, am I the only one that, that that has literally never crossed his mind? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Let's, How let's, is that let's save, possible? Let's, let's save the That's Captain America. That's not the comedy MCU save, film that I've been waiting let's for. Let's save the Captain America Bucky Boning podcast for the after dark of the episode. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cinema Excelsior. I mean, Bester was right about the Howard the Duck, the 
Howard the Duck uh, lewdness, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. You know, I've, I've got my finger on the pulse of what the MCU is going to do. All right, You've so at least got your finger on the pulse of Slash. Yeah. The Slash. Yeah. So we're back. Yeah, I farm. trust me. Yeah, go on the internet. You'll find a lot of stuff. Oh on no, shit! Too. Really? You'll find yeah. really? on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I think I will Shocking. trust you. So uh, we're back on the farm. Everyone kind of gets some quiet character moments. We get a fun thing where Captain America is much, much better at chopping wood than Tony Stark is. Um, Thor leaves the farm to go and meet with Stellan Skarsgård and then go lay in a pond for a while and have visions of the universe. Mm. Um, uh, We do get the the monster monologue between... uh, Well, it's a monologue, so it's not really between anyone, but it's uh, (laughs) It's Scarlett (laughs) Johansson monologue at Bruce Banner. Yeah. Um, Black Widow does. Okay, yeah. Okay, Bester, you wanted to talk about Black Widow's monologue? I mean, I, I don't think I'm the only one who has thoughts on, uh, on this, I believe. Uh, but, you know, I, I I hated it at the time, and I still hate it now. I feel like, I think I think Dude has a different read on it, but, uh, you know, the the fact that, you know, she, she gives like, oh, you think you're the only monster here? And then she has this big speech where, yes, I think the intended reading is I'm a monster because I I was made to kill these people. But that's not new information for us. The new information narratively for the viewer is she was sterilized. And I think like though it's very it's very easy to read that as I'm a monster because I was sterilized. And it just it's icky to me. You th- but you attribute it to not being authorial intent, but just kind of being clumsy writing. Uh yeah. I just think like the 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 tone, the way that it's delivered is like, oh, you think I'm a monster? Here, have some new information about me. Mm-hmm. But the but the thing that is the new information is not actually at least intended to be what makes her a monster, but it's easy to read it that way, I feel. And certainly I remember when I went to see it, everyone else I went to had that same read of that speech, that it was I am a monster because I cannot have babies. Well, I can I can understand that as being like a first interpretation, but I don't think it's the information that's new. It's it's the perspective that we have never seen anything really from Black Widow's perspective before. Uh, she she very rarely has like any conversations about herself because she doesn't share information about herself with anyone. Uh, we get we get some of that with her relationship with Hawkeye, uh, and certainly we get the impression that it has happened by the way that the rest of Hawkeye's family treats her and the fact that Laura Barton recognizes that there is this relationship between Black Widow and Hulk. So we know that other characters see these things. Yeah. But occasionally I mean, Natasha, but very Natasha jokes Yeah. Natasha jokes but, that they're gonna name their third kid after her. Yeah. And that's oh, I, don't think and she's that's, I think she's gonna come yeah. back and kill him if they don't. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And, that's, that's and, and, she's, stinger. and she's mad that the child is male and gonna be named Nathaniel, but still mm-hmm. also kind of named after her. So, like, clearly, yeah, clearly there's oh. a, a very close relationship. That's why she just and, comes back and breaks Linda Cardellini's legs instead of kills her. And yeah. that's why Linda Cardellini has ever shown up in any of the movies after this. <laughs> but I think that yeah. the what we get here for the first time is how she sees herself. And the big reveal is not that she was sterilized. The big reveal is that being sterilized made is the intent of it is to make everything easier, even killing. And what she's saying is killing is not difficult for me. The thing that makes me a monster is that I can kill people and it really doesn't bother me. And I, and that in that way, she is exactly like the Hulk 
not like Bruce, but like the Hulk itself. I get, I, I think you're not wrong that the, the idea is supposed to be not that the sterilization makes her the monster. I think the part of the problem is that by, by reaching for that as the, as the sort of the, the anecdote that she tells, yeah. it really puts it front and center in a very uncomfortable way. I think particularly for, I imagine, I wouldn't know personally, obviously, but for any woman who's, who's, who's become sterilized, uh, through anything, it kind of it puts it the whole thing front and center in a really like my aunt. Um, one of my aunts actually had had a medical procedure that went awry, and she can never have children. Um, like I think it, and for them, for people, for other people who have had that happen to them, it's a sore spot. And so I think that well, it can happen for men too. I mean, it can it can, but I think for people who have that happen, I'm sure it's a sore spot. And to have it kind of touched on in such a there's just not enough time to really delve into what being sterilized means. And so by dropping it in so lightly in kind of place where she is using it to compare, uh, using it to explain the fact that she has this sort of like killer part of her. Um, I just think it, it it comes off as flippant. I don't believe that was the intention at all. I don't feel that about it at all. I feel like this is one of the heaviest and, and most emotionally powerful scenes in the film. I feel like it would be if it had more time. I think that's my my main issue. I mean, I think this scene was cut down. I think a big takeaway for all of us is that you read this movie very differently than the rest of us do. Well, yeah. Um, Yeah. I watched the deleted scenes, and this scene in particular had some some crucial lines after this that was Uh. cut. Maybe, well, I'd be I, I, to see I, that I, maybe when we get the uh, the Black Widow solo film that is apparently uh, there is a script yeah going to happen now. now. Uh, yeah. yeah, there is a script for it yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that is when we'll get to explore something like this in some depth. But, but I think that does get it does get to a problem with this film in general, and I think this section of the film in general as well. There's a lot of shit that is crammed into like this act of the film, where everyone yeah, this has is... to have their character moment, and all of them kind of get cut short. Right into yeah, an already double stuffed film. Well, like, like, I, sorry, I, I also think that this film reads very differently the more that you watch it, like a lot of the best films do personally this is not one of the best films i mean i think it's one of the best mcu films i love both the, the avengers oh. films but because i think there is a lot going on a lot of it is skillfully woven together so that it interweaves but without I being obvious the first woven time together i i mean yeah. well you know that's your interpretation i consider this like i for the dark world and then probably this is how i would rank the wow. bottom of the mcu uh, this is I don't know if I'd rank it that Wow. Low. That's really low. I, That's really harsh. I just, just I, to be clear. Uh, just, like I'm sorry. I just want a clarification here. You're, Nick, uh, that is your ranking of MCU movies. You're not like including Fantastic, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, just, <laughs> just, of, just of like the 19 or okay. 20 or however many MCU movies. Because I don't like this movie Thor either. The Dark like, World is dead worse last. than the Fantastic Four. Uh, and Iron Man 2? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I like this better uh, than I did in Iron Man 2, even though Iron Man 2 does have Sam Rockwell dancing in it, which... Boops it up quite a bit. <laughs> Samuel Doctite should be dancing in all at the, of at the, at the very at the very least, this is I I will comfortably put this in the bottom tier. Like well, I don't know exactly like I don't know for sure how I would rank the bottom tier, but like Iron Man two and this and Thor the Dark World and maybe one or two other movies. I feel are very much in this sort of bottom tier for me. Okay. Personally. To, for me, I feel like this is one of the better, like when this movie <laughs> came out, it was It'll never end probably ever. number three for me. Uh, oh, Avengers, yeah. then Winter Soldier, then this. I think better films have come out since then, but I think overall the broad MCU trends have been that the films are getting better. Okay. I think the films are getting 
better now insofar as they are yeah. branching out in, in interesting directions. Yeah, they're, they're, they're allowing for different There's tones. a lot of fucking yeah. film to get through. So, yes, that's yes. true. Okay, what, hap- what happens what? next? Okay, we get, we get a few interesting things here. Uh, number one, Samuel L. Jackson checks off another of his contractually obligated appearances <laughs> in Marvel films. <laughs> yeah, he'll be free someday. Uh, yeah, one day. Uh, he won't have to make these films. Why did he sign that 40 film deal <laughs> why wouldn't he i mean do you think that he doesn't enjoy coming in for two or no, three no, scenes I, I think samuel L. jackson approaches these films much the same way that anthony hopkins approaches his entire career at this point which is you're gonna pay me seven to eight figures to show up for three days and give a monologue sure <laughs> and more power to you when you get to that level yeah, exactly. of you know like yeah. I will. I will be in one scene and be the highlight of this movie. Yes, give me ten million dollars. Yeah. Uh, so that uh, happens. Um, and then we, we, get, a, we get a great dinner scene. We get. A, uh, we do get a dinner scene. A lot of a lot of good movies have really good dinner scenes in them. Yeah, like the big refresh. Chill. Refresh um, my memory. I've never <laughs> seen that actually. Is this is pretty good. Or is big this, night. Is what? this happening? When all this is happening, is this being intercut with the twins and Ultron, or is it all one block? And then we go to the twins and Ultron. Uh, so we're getting some intercutting here because Ultron has gone off to Korea to get himself a new body made. Which and is, to yeah. get... Which is being 3D printed out of vibranium, I guess, because that 3D printing Torso had to pay off. Uh, we've, we are only scratching the surface of Vibranium's uh, MacGuffin multi-useness, as yep. Black Panther will teach us, teaches yep. us in the oh Yes. So, uh... Ultron's 3D printing a new body for himself. The Avengers uh, figure it out. They rush off to try to stop him. There is another long action oh, sequence. Oh, I'm sorry. Tony is also then decides he needs to go to the center of the internet to find yes. out <laughs> who is stopping. All right. That's, yes. Journey to the center of the internet. <laughs> I, I feel like because the center Starring of the internet. Starring Brendan Fraser. <laughs> because I literally spent 20 minutes trying to find out if this was real when I first saw it. Beneath the center of the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Conquest of the center of the internet. The War internet. for the center of the then internet. Then there's the dark web. Then there's the center of the internet. <laughs> so Tony because goes off to the center of the internet. There's been some force stopping Ultron from getting the nuclear codes, and Tony decides he's going to go find out what it is. Yeah, and so he goes to the center of the internet. Which, on the commercial web also. Which, by the way, is in Sweden. Yep. It's somewhere in Norway. This was a Sweden co-production. Um, yeah. So he, no, it's not. No, he is in some fucking place in California. Yeah. So they go off. <laughs> or uh, they all go their separate Probably ways. Probably Burbank. They're, they're having a fight. Uh, okay. The outcome of the fight: uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver basically decide that Ultron is not worth being with because Scarlet Witch can finally kind of see his his mind and sees that he's planning mass destruction. And yeah. shockingly, and the that, evil that robot turns out to be evil. Doesn't that happen in Korea? And don't yeah. we already know from yeah. Mash that Korea is in is in California, right outside LA? That's true. <laughs> I have actually I've actually been there. It's a lovely hike. Yeah, it's Korea. I believe Korea? It. The the Mash the Mash the place where they shot Mash. The Mash Korea? Korea? North or South. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, in uh, Seoul, Seoul, California. <laughs> right outside oh, of I'm Malibu. kidding. We all know LA doesn't have a soul. Walk, walk, walk. <laughs> I'm dead on the inside. They, so uh part of the crew goes off to Korea, they fight Ultron. Uh, the twins see uh, Ultron's soul and decide they're going to turn on him eventually. And Captain America, who had kind of been kind of pseudo mentoring them to try to win them back throughout the film, ultimately yeah. does. Uh, Scarlet Witch uh, throws uh, Ultron's body outside of a flying truck, but gets captured by Ultron. 
They take the body back you know, to New York. Scarjo gets captured. Black Scar Widow. Okay. God damn it. Oh, this is killing me. Black Widow gets <laughs> captured. They take this the is body. harder than it, you think it should be. I... <laughs> they take the body back to... Uh, nice. They take the body back to... Put it back up. I want to see the buttons are. Back to New York. They leave the body with Tony and Banner. Why and would you immediately? Do this? Not a minute after the rest of the he hasn't learned the anything. They yeah, start like he's like Hey, you know what we should do? We should bring this thing to life. Conversation. At this point, Tony Tony's journey from the center of the internet brought back Jarvis, yeah. who just who didn't die. He's got Jarvis yeah. back with him, and well, he found some, Jarvis down yeah, there at the center of the there, internet. There's <laughs> Tony doesn't even bother giving a justification for why it's a no, good idea. No, he just says, time. you're going to do it, and yeah. I'm going to help you. It's a good idea this time. Yeah. But the thing like, is, I'm not and here's sure. the thing, I'm it's like Jack the and the Beanstalk. Out of the room yet. This is, this is the moment where it's like Jack and the Beanstalk, where the, com the complete egotistical crazy person does the insane thing, and it works. This time it He's works actually right. Because the Infinity Stone, the Mind Stone, is embedded in the head of this body. Mm -hmm. uh, Thor comes back at the last minute and gives it a Frankenstein <laughs> jolt of electricity. Mm -hmm. It's very because subtle. It, Thor is the father now. Yeah, he is the all father. It comes to life, <gasps> and shocking, the heart. And shockingly, this time it looks and sounds like Paul Bettany. So we're comforted by it. Yes. Also, Paul Thor Bettany. puts his hammer down and does not attack him, which I feel like is a crucial moment. Yeah, Paul. It's also and then, bit, like it's yeah, we've had Paul Bettany's voice that. for like years. We might as well actually get Paul yeah. Bettany to show Paul up. Paul yeah. deserves a bigger paycheck for this one. Yeah. Um. So Paul Bettany is the vision. He has what? a monologue about being a new thing and not understanding people. He makes he... his makes that cape, looks at Thor, yeah. and then he takes he Thor's immediately cape. Makes the cape. Like not even a moment's hesitation, just automatically nope. I have the cape. Oh yes. Also good. Why? Yeah, you're why good. He, I like I've you. never been clear the derivation of the vision. It, at least in the MCU. Like oh, it feels a... like it just like there's just like I'm the fucking vision. I'm he, like, he what, was, what? Was where did this come he from? He was Ultron's vision. And then Thor had a vision, and so someone said vision. And he God damn it. it! Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Is, that, is that really? That's, that's right. In in the in the comics, he's called Vision because he is Ultron's <laughs> vision of the future. In in the comics, Vision is much more explicitly Ultron's kid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, or Carlos, <laughs> or whatever his name is from uh, the Runaways. I I just want to say that this also, this is Ultron's one of those things kid. that I really I feel like most movie marketing reveals way too much. And I had avoided all spoilers mm -hmm. as I try to do for most films, and I had no idea that Vision was going to be a in this. Pretty good job not front-loading Vision. He's not on the yeah. posters or anything. The, like that. I would agree yeah. with that. The I only reason I, I the only reason I saw it coming was because he's such an integral part of the Ultron of Ultron's like the Ultron okay. mm -hmm. that like it was it was sort of like spoiler alert um, for Punisher. Sorry, when I have a lot of friends who are very very surprised when um, uh, and again spoiler for Punisher. Billy Barnes, a uh, Bill Barnes's character, Billy Russo, turns out to be evil in the Punisher. But in the comics, Billy Russo is literally shocked. He's played by Billy Barnes or Ben Barnes. Ben, in in the comics, Bill Bill uh, Russo ben is, is is Billy Russo is himself. We know yeah. who we know who Billy Russo is because we saw him played by uh, what's his name? Billy Barney. No, Psychopath not... McGee from Westworld. <laughs> no, not by Psychopath McGee. Not by Billy Barney. <laughs> 
uh, by McNulty in Punisher Warzone. Oh yeah, yeah, but like, <laughs> like I know my, so that's the problem I sometimes have when I watch these movies is that I know so much. I actually, it's hard to spoil me because it's sort of like spoiler: Billy Russo is evil. I was like, well, yeah. He's Jigsaw. He's so yeah. dangerous that when he gets arrested, he gets thrown on the raft. Yeah, we, we already saw a terrible performance given for this character. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's one of the things that I like about the, you know, a lot of these comic productions uh, that if you know the comics, then yeah, you're going to see stuff coming. But if you don't, then, you know, they, they can really sneak up on you. No, it's just well, something I, I noticed because I had a lot of friends who didn't see it coming and they really enjoyed <laughs> that mid-act twist. Yeah. Uh, but I was, but I'm like, well, yeah, he's... I, <laughs> I don't remember... You guys are idiots. Yeah, I feel like I feel like maybe just from like paying attention to merchandising or something, I certainly knew that the vision was coming, and yeah, I'm, I'm still and I'm still not real. Like I don't know what he adds to the Avengers. Like he feels he feels really superfluous I, to me. I, as I'll, a I'll tell you what he adds to the Avengers. He he adds to the he adds to the Avengers a character that Thanos is going to be able to kill in Infinity War to take stone, and then we'll all feel like, ah, an Avenger died! No! God damn it. Well, God I, damn it, you are exactly right. They're never going to kill anybody. I, uh, yeah, I really like it, you're right. Um, he's the personification of Jarvis, yeah. and when when Ultron kills Jarvis, you know, at the end of the, the first act, uh, that, that, like, really hit me. I didn't realize that I... How, how should I put this? It's not that I didn't care about Jarvis in the previous films. It's you monster! You didn't care about Jarvis at all. Yeah, uh, I'm really I, anti AI. Um, I'm as somebody who is pro AI and like welcomes the robot apocalypse. I don't give a flying fuck about Jarvis. I that affected me in no way. Uh, I feel like we should come back to the fact that you would welcome the robot apocalypse, <laughs> yeah. but oh, instead I'm, I'm just gonna, gonna, gonna I, I'm just gonna try to move past. I, it. Have, I yeah. have been on the record pro robot apocalypse for decades now. So we are I, we are at the point right, right now. Where I was rooting for the Cylons, remember? The well, the other thing act. that I the other thing I like about the Vision is that he. I mean, it's it's an amazing payoff for that early hammer, hammer scene gag. that he can yes. he can wield the hammer. So immediately we know, okay, this guy actually is legit. We Everyone can trust him. Trusts him. And yeah, it yeah, gives yeah. us a second guy who can wield the hammer, which yeah, is, yeah. you know. So now the third act has ended. Uh, Ultron has decided that his evil plan is going to be deployed. Ooh, He's going to Well, lift... it changes his evil plan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so is Sokovia a city or a country? It's, it's, it's yes. unclear. Yes. <laughs> I think it's um, a city state. This is Sokovia City. Okay, so in so the country of Sokovia, in the Sokovia region of Sokovia. So it's, Ultron, Ultron it, it's in northern Sokovia. Yeah. It's supposed to be like Poland, kind of. Okay. It's supposed to be like vaguely Poland, and so I guess that's sort of Poland vaguely Warsaw. Poland has Warsaw. cities. <laughs> yeah, no, no uh, Poland, Poland is not a city well, state. Sokovia is the north, south, central, eastern Sokovia. What more do you need? <laughs> Got it. So I, uh, I just want to say that I, I think that he changes his plot once uh, the twins turn on him. Because Anyone what he tells them is that humanity would have the chance to evolve, yeah. but then they don't believe him because, I mean, I think that he's telling the truth, but also why would you believe him? Yeah. He's uh, a killer robot. So then, but then without that link to humanity, he's like, well, fuck it. I'm going to destroy everything. So then we go Did back to the really? beginning. I, and I instead of... The whole time. Yeah. You think that yeah, he's immediately going to kill everybody? Yeah. Uh, the only yeah, reason that I, I wouldn't so. believe that is because I don't think he, he had so any reason to lie. do it at the beginning and then he didn't. But I mean, that's what—that's why they turn on him because she reads his mind and finds out what his plan is. His plan is—I think to it's kill one everyone. possible plan. I mean, I think okay. it's like the long-term goal that he's going to kill everyone who doesn't, 
you know, okay. But now, right now, it, now it's a short-term right. goal, and his short-term goal is he's built an enormous engine under this city, which yes. he uses to lift the city off of the ground, and his plan is to get it well, high enough to drop it to destroy the world. He doesn't build it. It's already there because it's the same shield generator that we saw in the beginning of the film. He just he, reverses it and he puts mod- it underneath he, he, do- he, he, he modifies um, Strucker's. Okay. Yeah, yeah. existing. He chat. modifies but, the, the the something or other that there's down there. I mean, for, yeah. it's it's, it's, but like, it's it's science bullshit. So like, yeah. he, he yeah. sciences the science and the science. Yes, the science. but they established it early in the film, and then they demonstrate it during the fight scene with Ultron, where he can like I mean, reach out and do the magnetic field thing. I I don't I don't know how well it's established. Like we see that there's a bunch of science bullshit in the uh in the Hydra layer, but well, like it's yeah, not this clear is another what point where I does. feel like it, it helps to watch the movie like several times because I didn't really understand all of the the groundwork or I didn't notice all the groundwork until probably the third time that I watched it. So they they but, uh, his plan there. he's gonna lift this city. He lifts the city up into the air. The Avengers come to try to stop him from lifting the city, which is they're too late to do. They're on the city as it's rising, and the city is going to plummet and destroy the earth if anyone presses one button that is in the middle of a fucking cathedral all anyone has one person presses the button and the city's gonna fall so there is a long extended fight scene where the vision burns ultron out of the internet so he's not network anymore he's just in the bodies mm-hmm. he's got well he just flips the wi-fi switch yeah exactly yeah, yeah, unplug it. Then they're, they're, uh, he has to call down the yeah. menu, hit, put him on yeah. airplane mode. All of Ultron's... <laughs> I mean, look how Ultron... Have you ever seen a bodybuilder try to scratch his own back? Oh, he put enough. the switch back there, fair so now enough. he just can't reach oh, it. Oh, it's, like, it's like Data and his secret uh, Achilles switch in his back. Yeah. Oh, God. So, in terms uh, that you could understand, it's like yeah. Data. So there we go. Well, now I like Ultron, now that I put him in, in terms of Data. <laughs> now that he's Data plus James Spader. Um, oh my God! Now let's I just call it Robert, Robert California for the for the Office fans. <laughs> so it's, just, it's Data plus Robert California. So there is a uh, a long uh, climactic Marvel movie style fight scene where all of the Avengers surround this button and kill all of the robots that are trying to push it. Uh, yes. This goes on for some time. Sounds like a game show. It sounds like uh, Double Dare. <laughs> Yeah. It's like the Running Man. It's, it's a future game show where you have to defend yourself against. They're the on top of, of the vibranium, and they have to stop all of the robots from getting on top of aggro crag. That's what's happening, guys. Here. Do you know this? Did you know realize that the the guy who was the host of Nickelodeon Guts is actually an actor? He was he was one of the main characters. He was on, on Glee. Yesterday. He was on what? Yes, one of the main characters on Glee. Yeah. Oh. I didn't know that. Yeah, I've never yeah. seen yeah, Michael Malley. I didn't have Nickelodeon. Michael Malley. Yeah, he he. The difference is that he had hair, and now he's like bald, and he looks so different that I just didn't recognize him. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, yes, this- here was an incredibly successful sitcom on CBS. It- we are so close. We are so close. <laughs> there is um, there is a long fight scene. Uh, eventually, which- a shield helicarrier shows up. They start evacuating the city, getting everyone in the mm-hmm. helicarrier. Uh, we get Hawk- a really great monologue by Hawkeye. Yeah, Hawkeye has a great monologue to Scarlet Witch to try <laughs> to convince her uh, that it's, uh, it's okay to go out and fight these things, and she's strong enough to do it, and then she is. And yeah, then, it's uh, awesome. And then uh, Hulk breaks out. Uh, Hulk breaks out Black Widow. Yep. Got it. Yes. Um, and he doesn't want to Hulk out, so they're going to run. And yeah. she's like, I'm sorry, but I got to do this. And she performs what is the traditional method of getting Bruce to turn into a Hulk in across multiple MCU Pushing movies. Him off of things. Right, because I was like looking, it's like, 
Wow, they really do like to make it turn into the Hulk. It's the easiest way. I mean, other than shooting him point blank in the face. They do do it in The Incredible Hulk, they do it in this, and then they do it again in Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok. So basically, their just big method is drop him out of a plane, and then he'll Hulk out before he is. I mean, his... But it's the lie, the, the lie that introduces you know, shooting him in the face. What is it she says right before, like, I adore you? Isn't yeah, that what she yeah. says? And then you, kicks him off the cliff? It's a terrible line reading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I adore uh, you. Okay, what happens? Uh, Hawkeye. Well, she didn't want to say I love you. Well, Hawkeye's... fucking say I love you. Yeah. Why don't you say I love you? Yeah, because she's, she's got a monster inside. I um, mean, because, you know, she... So the... She's not ready to say him. that yet. Say you love her. So Hawkeye's entire arc has been building us up to the idea that, oh yeah, Hawkeye's going to die, so his family yes. is tragic. Which is, I think, is a great use of Joss Whedon's yeah. reputation by Joss Whedon. And then he because you know they're just going to kill somebody you care about. Yep. I mean, my... and then he doesn't. So Hawkeye, Hawkeye goes. Instead, go... he kills somebody that you just met. Yeah, Hawkeye goes into the situation knowing mm-hmm. that he is probably about to die to save a kid. Mm-hmm. And he ends up being he saved. Looked at the camera. Yeah, he really should have. Yeah, just deadpan <laughs> right into the camera, like Eddie Murphy in Trading Places. <laughs> uh, but in fact, it is Quicksilver who takes the bullets for Hawkeye. Oh no! The second best Quicksilver is yep. dead. And, and completely <laughs> sidesteps any future rights issues related to that character. I, I, I will say, I think that's part of the reason. Um, and this is a metatextual thing. So it's not like they. This is no one's fault, but like because I was like I knew they couldn't keep this Quicksilver around just for legal reasons. That's why I was sort of like so unsurprised that he died. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, I know this is part of the deal that you made with Fox. A moot point now, actually, that I think yeah, about. Now it's- that they're all coming in, they're sitting around thinking, <laughs> ah, how do we bring Quicksilver back? But do we want to bring Aaron Taylor Johnson back? Maybe the other Quicksilver, and yeah. we just don't answer any questions. Um, yeah. But no, I will say, like, well, that will be the Quicksilver that's Magneto's son. It will be an entirely different Quicksilver. Exactly. Look, let me just put it this way: there's a reason I think the villain of Avengers Four is not going to be Thanos, but Kang the Conqueror, so they can time tra- oh, travel bullshit all of this. It's it's not it's not established, but I have I have a bunch of reasons for why I think that, and I'll explain after we stop recording. Anyway, okay. Uh, so Quicksilver's dead. They evacuate everyone. Tony has figured out some way to science the city into exploding without killing everyone. He, he sciences the fuck out of it. Uh, <laughs> Vision goes off and finds like the one remaining Ultron Sentry that escaped uh, in this entire oh, no. affair, and they have like a, a little heart to heart about humanity. And then Vision destroys the Ultron. I did like that heart to heart, actually. Yeah, I, I I generally like Paul Bettany's performance in this. Um, yeah, they have their heart to heart. The Ultron gets destroyed. The Hulk has fled in a Quinjet, and no one knows where he has gone to. Jeff um, Goldblum. Yeah, he, he goes, goes to space. <laughs> he goes off to space. To he goes off to a much better movie in a jet. Yeah, yeah exactly. In a jet somehow. Yeah. When, well, when you're a jet, well, you're a jet. For, uh, I mean, he's the uh, he's. I love that scene where. Uh, Ultron is escaping, and then Hulk leaps into the jet, and you just hear Ultron in the background. Oh, for God's sake! And thrown out <laughs> yeah. of the jet. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the 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 scene where Ultron is by himself in the mm-hmm. jet, singing to himself. That's the only <laughs> other moment in the film where Ultron came across as creepy and threatening to me. Like it's his first appearance, and then it's him mm-hmm. in the jet, horribly mangled, singing to himself. Like that's so much more interesting than I'm going to be Robert yeah. Downey Jr., but kind of watered down. And also, 
Um, yeah. Okay. Look so like Skip Robert California Jr. Yeah, Robert California Jr. So then we have. Uh, okay, what do we have? We uh, the Avengers base has, for good reasons, moved out of New York City. It's now somewhere in upstate New York. Tony is uh, apparently leaving the Avengers. Thor. Again. Thor's going God. off to investigate. He does this a lot. Yeah, Thor's going off to investigate his own better movie. Um, and uh, Captain America has assembled a new collection of Avengers. Uh, so he yeah. and Black Widow are going to run a new version of the team with the Vision and the Scarlet Witch. And, and a Falcon much worse costume. And the War Machine. And they're going to have fun. And then we cut to credits. And then in the mid-credits scene... We see Thanos, uh, who has decided that now he's going to go get those uh, Infinity Stones himself in like three or four years. He's going to get off his ass off that stupid chair and actually start doing stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um, And that's the film. uh, I love the the last conversation between uh, Black Widow and Nick Fury where she asks him, like, hey, all that time ago when you sent me to get Hulk... Did you did you know what would happen? And I realized, oh, this is this is Joss Whedon she's talking to. Nick Fury is Joss Whedon right here. Here's the problem with that. Joss Whedon has cast Samuel L. Jackson Nick, as himself. Nick Fury, here's the problem with that. Nick Fury didn't actually make that call. Uh, well, regardless. No, no. Phil, Phil Coulson was the so one who signed her. So then that's just argument for my point. It's actually a conversation between Joss Whedon and himself saying, or like between the audience saying, so when you when you had them meet up with each other at the beginning of the first movie, did you know that you were going to write a relationship for them in this film? And uh, Nick Fury's response is like, nope, sometimes things just happen. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That's, Come that's on. Great, great Sam Jackson impersonating yeah. there. Nope, sometimes things just happen. <laughs> My name is Judge. My name is Judge. <laughs> My name is Judge. He's right. His name is Judge now. I think we've talked a lot about this film because there's a lot of film there. Uh, Does does anyone have anything that they want to talk about that we haven't talked about in the last hour and 45? I would actually like to talk a bit about Strucker. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Mr. Monica. An hour and a half. With a name like Strucker, it has to be good. <laughs> Strucker's Raspberry <laughs> Preserves. Please no tell me that you're quoting uh, pod people and not the commercial. <laughs> Why would I not be quoting the commercial, dude? Come on. <laughs> I, I have a reason. I have a reason. Okay, I what's, what, why do you want to talk about Thomas Kretschmer? So, first of all, I just love Thomas Kretschmer and I like talking about him. Um, okay. Second, one of the things we forgot to mention is that Kretschmer, Strucker actually gets killed off screen. Oh, yeah, he does. Yep. We see a picture um, of him. Yep. And what I find weird about this in a lot of ways is that I there there is not a lot in this film that I philosophically have a problem with. It's just that I don't feel like anything in this film is given any room to breathe. Um, and as a result, its execution is just never going to live up. Um, you know, it, it there was too much attempted to be stuffed into this film. And... It, none of it had the ideas to play out. And I think you can see that specifically because the, um, just some comic book background, Strucker is actually one of the major villains of the Marvel Universe. He's actually Nick Fury's arch nemesis. He's a big deal. And when he showed oh, up at the end. It's monocle versus eye patch. <gasps> oh my God. Oh. One guy can't see out of his eye because he doesn't have it. And then the other can see better out of his eye. Both, by the way, are also prone to faking their own deaths. Um, both do it. Yeah, the um, but the reason I bring this up is that the there's some weird expectations being played with this movie because at the end of um, Winter Soldier, 
when Strucker shows up, he's really scary. Yeah. Like, he's got some really, like, you know, uh, this is not the age of spies. It's not even age of heroes. It's an age of miracles. Yeah, he's really and there's a thing more. And then he's, yeah, yeah. like, he's I didn't even remember that he was in Winter Soldier. Yeah. yeah. He's like the, uh, he's the post-credit scene or the mid-credit scene. Although, when I, when I saw uh, Black Panther, I did not remember that we had met Claw before. <laughs> right. <laughs> we but they do the same thing with him in that film as they, as they, uh. You forgot Andy Zirkus's face? <laughs> That's not his face. You have no idea. That's what true. None of us really have seen like. the real Andy Zirkus. Yeah. He's actually. You don't even know what my real name is. <laughs> but yeah, I, you, I do do like that. There you go. There's a yeah. version of this where, like, it, I would have liked this movie a lot more had it been like played out across two films, almost. Like, there's just I don't see a lot of authorial like. I know how these things work and I know how they're made. So I know that a lot of the, that the Marvel movies, all these big budget movies are made in a writer's room in a lot of ways, you know? Uh, so like, there's not a lot of authorial intent going on in a lot of these anymore. Um, but this one in particular just sort of feels like there's cramming so much into it that nothing has time to breathe. And yeah, no, that's the reason I want to bring up Strucker is that like Strucker is kind of emblematic of that to me because he's this, really important villain you know in in the idea and then just oh and you're gone now yeah um and that's just was there was there a deleted like... scene of him getting killed dude um because i can imagine like a really creepy ultron monologue as he corners this guy yeah it definitely it definitely felt like something where like the yard in scene included there may have been one written but yeah uh there wasn't yeah. one on the DVD that I recall. Because, yeah, because, yeah, like, I, there's a great, there's a great, I would love to see Tom uh, Kretschmann and Spader act that scene out where. Maybe like, was, I don't remember. Um, we're like, because like, that, that's an interesting idea. There's a great monologue, ultra monologue there. There's actually a great chance for Kretschmann to kind of actually be kind yeah. of creepy in, in accepting his death and being like. But he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that to me is ultimately this movie's. I remember I texted you guys that I felt this movie was like a stack of scenes. Mm-hmm. And. And what that means, for those of you who don't know, it's it's a term of art. It basically means that, like, it's just a scene, scenes that follow each other one after another and don't feel super well connected. Hmm. And I feel like that a lot of con- there might be there might have been a lot of connective tissue. It just all had to get cut for time. And so as a result, that's why there a lot like I'll give you and this, this is all true of how I feel about Hulk and Black Widow is that I don't hate that idea on its face. I remember my mother commenting that. Um, it was it was like in a weird in between place where there was too much of it for you to just sort of ignore it as sort of like a light little background thing, mm. but not enough of it to really flesh it out in a meaningful way. So this yeah. film is uh, well, it's it's 141 minutes long, so two, about two hours and 15 minutes plus credits. Uh, hmm. And my memory of this film was that this was going to be close to a three hour film, just because I was thinking about the amount of stuff that's in it. Um, mm-hmm. And that that compression, it is compressed in such a way that it feels like it should be longer than it is. But if you were trying to make this a tight film, you actually probably would have cut about 20 minutes more of it. It it is a weird in-between. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like a lot of, well, it's it's an incredibly obvious thing to say about art that uh, art is like, you know, the, the classics are things that get better with every watching. 
uh, you know, the difference between a great comedy and then something like The Big Lebowski is that literally every time you watch The Big Lebowski, it gets better because you're noticing more connective tissue. Better than The Big and, Lebowski, uh, raves Daniel Watson Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Not even remotely, but I'm saying like that this this smacks of, of that because every time I've watched it, I have noticed lines that are that happen so quickly that I didn't notice how they connected Whoa. everything. But there's a lot of stuff going on in these scenes that because and I agree that there is a lot happening in this movie, but I don't think that it's like, I didn't find it boring. I didn't find it like wasting time at all, but uh, I agree that a lot of things don't, uh, they don't have time to breathe. They're not fleshed out, but in subsequent viewings, the emotional impact hits me more because I'm, I'm just seeing it more fully. I guess I'm seeing what's there because I've, I, I'm just, you know, the first time I watched it, I didn't have time to process every line. Uh, as, as quickly as they were coming. I see what you're saying. I guess, and maybe this is just because I come I come at this from a different point of view than everyone here, is that my counter-argument is that the best things do get, you notice different things with each subsequent viewing, but at the same time, it shouldn't require more than one viewing for you to get the basics of what's happening. It should be good the first time you watch it and you shouldn't well, need second viewings to kind of get things to kind of work better because to me you don't get to, you don't get to hand out cliff's notes you don't get to hand out like footnotes for your film like that's mm-hmm. and that's something that's something i really believe when I, in my own writing and you know i and, and i i think that there is a version of this where everything is has more room to breathe you know i don't pretend to know what happened um and and i as always i'm sticking to my rule of not blaming any single person um, but yeah, just to me, the film just cannot breathe. And I feel like I like the idea that you notice more in subsequent viewings. That's an idea that I always, I enjoy. I just feel like for that to be true, that first viewing has to na- be nailed. And then, I felt that like, was true for me, but, mm-hmm. but no, to, I mean, as I recall from our text messages, you and Nick both did not really, you were doing other things when you rewatched the film. I do correct? that with every film I watch. Okay. Yeah. It's 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 the ADHD. I I have it's very difficult for me oh, to down Actually, yeah. I learned I mean, from I the would... commentary that Joss Whedon also has ADHD. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah. to be perfectly honest, you know, yeah, I like uh, I will watch it on my computer and I'm uh, I'm usually live tweeting it, but that also means I'm online. I was cleaning my apartment while watching this movie. I, I, I probably I, I probably watched it. Xenoblade Chronicles too. <laughs> I probably. <laughs> I, I I don't play games while watching that just because I'm definitely not going to pay attention. But like clean doing cleaning while watching this, I probably paid more attention to this movie uh, than a lot of the movies that we talk about. Hmm. And and it like it certainly could have engaged me. I could have stopped cleaning, but I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Because but, uh, but uh, I paid more attention to this than I do a lot of films. But typically, or when I'm doing when I'm preparing for a podcast, typically I will put the movie on in with a little bit of light so that I can write uh, and I'm taking notes as I watch the film. This one, I kept pausing to take notes so that I wouldn't miss anything. Cause there was so much happening on screen. I took right. a lot of notes in act one and less notes in act two <laughs> and a few notes in act three and no notes in act. Three. Yeah. I, I typically, I, I, I typically am watching, I'm usually doing something like folding clothes or ironing. Again, it's the ADHD thing. 
Um, it's Ooh. hard for me to focus this unless our, I literally. This is, our, this is our things we do while watching movies. <laughs> I, I mean, I have ADD too, but I got totally jacked up on Adderall before I watched this, <laughs> so I was real laser focused on it's, it. It's also ADHD manifests differently for different people. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. many different. I don't think I have ADHD. I think I have without the hyperactivity. So I got much. the but H. anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, to go back you got to the, the H, huh? Sort of... Yeah, I got the H, buddy. <laughs> yeah, preparation H. Um, going going back to Patrick's thing. One of the other things that I found kind of odd that wasn't on screen, or at least I don't think was on screen, is Ultron making his new body. Like it happens. That when he's feels... talking to which uh, new body? You mean the body so like before the, the, the Hulk? The Hulked out uh, the buff body. The buff body. The, the buff body. body. Like he has this. No, he just shows up in that. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. But and we again, see that we see the like... process of him doing it later. Yeah, yeah but, we, but again, it's the first like... one. Yeah, yeah. No. it just it just he goes from being like the shambling corpse uh, mm-hmm. Ultron to now I am if now I'd I'm super on out mute, you don't have, I'd have been like, is this a totally different evil robot? What gives? <laughs> no, but again, it feels it feels like another sort of thing where I would expect that if not a deleted scene, at least in the uh, script hmm. somewhere they wrote this scene out just because it feels like it feels like a not a necessary scene but like it's it it felt disjointed to me that there wasn't any sort of oh by the way ultron's built himself a new body he just shows up in a new body it's the rare film well, that has too much in it and yet is not enough <laughs> yeah interestingly I mean, there was a deleted scene right before they meet up with him but it's not of him it's of them it's establishing that they are helping people in the sokovian community mm-hmm. and it actually shows a few people who you see later in the rescue sequences. Oh. Um, and then while they're doing that, a child comes in and says, there's uh, an evil robot and, man. Well, yeah, there's, there's a robot man, or, you know, the, basically the iron man. So they think that they're going to meet Tony Stark. Oh, and it okay. turns out to um, be. Fun I, fact, I, by I, the I way, did that in a small child's voice, but not in a Sokovian small child's voice. By the way, I didn't even notice you doing your voice. Wasn't that I your know. regular voice? Yeah. There <laughs> is a robot man in the castle. Okay, Dr. <laughs> nice, nice rolling really burned a Romanian boy from Alfie the racist dragon. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the old, the old gypsy woman from the wolf man. <laughs> the only way a to kill a with werewolf. a silver stick. A stick with a silver, with a silver handle. A stick with a silver handle. You got there's, there's much more of a beat A between. stick. Sorry. With the silver <laughs> <laughs> Hey. We finally got our soundboard. Yeah, whoa. <laughs> Can we? I think we also. I would like to talk about. Um, I think we wanted to talk a bit about how how we read Ultron and his sort of quippiness. Mm-hmm. And I think this is also a meta text. I, I I would argue this might also be a meta textual thing, because I remember the the first trailers for Age of Ultron lean very heavily on the creep. Like yeah, they they've got like creepy. They they have like the creepy children that um, Danny Elfman has living in his basement. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Elfman scored. I don't think one, it's that the, the children themselves are creepy. I think it's the act of having children in the basement that's creepy. Well, the yeah, children—it's yeah. the same. Children. It's been they the same don't. children for the last twenty years. They haven't aged. That's true. So, that is. You know, I'm okay, that does that's kind of creepy. No, um, but like they're, they're the, singing, the, they're, they're doing the "No Strings" song yeah. from Pinocchio, yeah. and, and it's like creepy, right? And and so I yeah. expect I expected Ultron to be to be creepier in the sense that like. He was going to be more weird and alien. Look, it's, yeah, it's, and I think it's, you know, think... Ja- and James Spader. I think you know, yes, he's done comedic roles, but like I think when you think of James Spader, like the archetypal James Spader role, it's probably going to be like creepy and really intense. And that's certainly what I expected yeah. from this role. And 
whether or not we want to blame this on like Joss Whedon style writing or not. And again, it's probably, it's a mix of that and just sort of the writer's room mentality. He does, he ends up being oddly acerbic and witty in yeah, ways that are just I think, odd. Derek, you were gonna... I think part of this is also the sort of like syndrome of celebrity voice casting. Like you, yeah. you get this weird sensation too, when you watch a lot of animated films these days where yeah. um, it's to the detriment of the character. If you're constantly thinking about yeah. the voice actor. Right. I've got um, a lot of, I have and, a lot of friends who are voice actors and they actually, that it's a, it's a practice that bugs them partially because obviously those are their job. Those could be jobs for them, right. but also because yeah, they, they, you can, you know, when Brad, when like say Liam Neeson voice acts, it is impossible to not be going. Oh, it's Liam Neeson. <laughs> it's Liam Neeson. Yeah, I mean, it's the difference yeah. between like the Little Mermaid and the Lion King. Where yeah, exactly. The Lion yeah. King, I think, is the first or one of the first Disney the movies that has like celebrity Aladdin. voices in. Oh, uh, Aladdin, 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 I don't think had. Well, it's got fucking well, yeah, Robin Williams. 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 But like, like, but everybody. The, the but canonical everybody. example of the distracting <laughs> voice. Gilbert Gottfried. But, but Gilbert yeah, Gottfried. Oh, he's right. Yeah, right. Never mind. I had forgotten. Yeah, take take that. Maybe it's because I became much more aware by the time that uh. You know, between Aladdin and Lion King. Yeah, I, I think the other part of this to connect to to your point, Nick, about Spader's star image, which again gets brought into yeah. the the voice acting and the character of Ultron, is that um, w- one of the reasons why there's a kind of disconnect with Ultron is because we have, um, you know, this star, which we may or may not like know about and have associations with, but um, regardless, the fact that uh, that Ultron, he he lacks, he lacks obvious psychopathy, and I know he like is threatening to you know wipe out civilization, but he does, there's not there's no, not like not. there's not like a moment of like shooting the puppy or like you know of obvious sort of like individual violence or individual um, kind of bad behavior for you know. Yeah, so that's what makes this that, so that kind of that kind of shows you, you know, that he's that he's the threat. And I know what you're, I know what you're saying, dude. That you know, we're we're meant to kind of read him in a different register. But the film totally equivocates on whether, okay, is he a philosophical threat? Is is he uh, some sort of? Is he a physical threat? Is he, you know, it's just sort of the nature of his threat is so kind of multi pronged. Yeah. that it doesn't get developed. And, and this in, isn't a, a period of time in Marvel films, I think, where um, we talked about this before. Marvel was having a lot of trouble figuring out what its villains were supposed to be, and so you, you get a lot of them that are very disposable. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I think that part of the, the reality of that is this is supposed to be a summer tentpole blockbuster film that is the culmination of other films and also very clearly supposed to have other films spin out of it. And there was, I think, some reluctance there to make this as weird and creepy as the concept might have dictated. And because of that, there is a tension between what the character is supposed to be and how it's executed. If you look at, Mm -hmm. I mean, Marvel films, particularly, I would say, between um, probably, 
Okay, so who are the Marvel villains of this period? We had Christopher Eccleston in uh, in Thor: The Dark World. We had Lee Lee Pace in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We had had Lee Pace in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Winter Soldier. (laughs) Winter Soldier had interesting villains, but not particularly distinctive ones. I mean, they they were clearly Robert Redford. Yeah, clearly (laughs) kind of a different mold. I Um, I I will point this. Well, he's the best. I mean. They all fall into the, and this movie's yeah. probably not really an exception, into the, they're a bad version of the protagonist. Yeah. Robert Redford is the bad Nick Fury. Yep. Uh, here we get um, uh, Ultron is the bad Vision. Uh, I will point out, though. Obviously, bad Tony Stark, but Tony Stark is also the bad Tony Stark. So The, the switch over to, I think, more interesting villains, ironically, I actually think happens this year. Yeah. Um, because this year's also, it was right around this time, I think a little bit afterward, whether the first season of Daredevil dropped. Yep. And I think I think Fisk was I mean the year Fisk... of this film, not this year 2018 no. or 2017. No. I, mean, oh. I, I think I was I was saying this year I consider like outside of Loki like the last 3 MCU movies are the only ones I think have had interesting Okay, films. so uh, we're recording this in March of 2018 yeah, for the so, record. Yeah. So Black so Panther is Black, the most Black recent. Black Panther, film. Thor, Ragnarok and Killmonger, Hela and Vulture. Uh, no, Vulture. A Vulture, Vulture was Spider-Man. Haven't we I, all just named villains at the same time yeah. so no one can understand okay, so, any of so it? So Vulture, Killmonger, um, uh, Thor Ragnarok, so that would have been Hella. I, I also really liked uh, Ego Hella in what? Guardians of the Galaxy too. Um, I, I didn't like I, too. I thought That would have been what, Hella Cool? Is yeah, that what Hella you were trying cool, to say? Yeah. I mean, you're from San, you're, you live in San Francisco now. Cool. There's only really one way I could interpret that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I liked uh, I liked ego, but we can talk about that when we get to. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. Yeah. Um, but but yes, they, like they they have they have started figuring out character or villains in a more interesting way, but I don't think they've fully cracked. Yeah. I mean, like who who was the villain in Black Panther? It was another Black Panther. Like we're still. Yeah. Trying- oh yeah, no. But yeah. I think I think they made it a uh, like a much more interesting other Black Panther than say the uh, the Yellow Jacket or Wasp or whatever the bad guy's name in uh, so bad. Ant-Man. I feel so bad about the villain in Ant Man because I really like the actor who played him. I really yeah, like he's a great actor. Him. But he, Jesus. but yeah, I, I'd also I, like I think, to say that in I mean in Black Panther, like I think we should distinguish between protagonist and antagonist and hero and villain because. Fair. Both the oh, okay. protagonist Pro- and the antagonist, antagonist are each hero and villain okay. in their okay. own way. Fine. Protagonist and antagonist. Still, it's they're, they're think, the same fucking character. But I, but I think, but I think the fact that Black Panther is complicated enough that that is a distinction to make. Yes, is important, and I don't Although, think, I think other other than other than sort of leaning really heavily on. By the way, Tony Stark's totally an asshole a little too heavily at times. I don't think a lot of MCU movies really sort of complicate I, their heroes. To that. I, well, I think, think that actually the next film in the MCU really does because you could argue that what's the next one? Uh, Ant-Man, Ant-Man is the is the first film in Ant-Man. which the protagonist is also the antagonist. Uh, uh, Where's your soundboard? Uh, I'm, I'm, the thing I'm most mad about is that I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> And it was only once you said antagonist that I was like, God Thank fucking you. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll just be quiet. I'm going out on a high note here, everybody. I love this uh, film. <laughs> I think I think another odd thing about this movie is it feels like 
the the first Avengers movie and the upcoming Avengers movie, like both seem to be really tied into like this overall mythology that they're building around uh, this sort of showdown between the Avengers and the sort of cosmic forces of Thanos. Even if Thanos is sort of playing a background role in the Avengers, it's still very much about that. This movie feels very kind of disconnected from that. But I th- and in the same and in the same kind of way that like Civil War is go- is going to feel kind of like it's an Avengers movie, this one in some ways kind of feels like it's a Tony a um an Iron Man movie pretending to be an Avengers movie. I actually want to bounce off of that because if I may, Stefan, um is that um one thing about I, these big crossover moments should kind of change the status quo not just for the characters, but kind of of the world. And I guess that's like the problem I have is that this movie doesn't really change the status quo in the, in as big a way. It changes it a little bit, but not, not as strong happens in, uh, in South Africa, like affect the whole world's view of the Avengers that it doesn't, doesn't affect civil war quite a bit. I was going to say, my my point is that it does change affect the status quo way, but I feel like the, 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 the Captain America movie that precedes it and the Captain America movie that follows it changed the status quo of the world in a much more profound way than Ultron does. Yeah. Because and I like, like both of those movies much, much more than Because the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. like has ripple effects throughout all of the Marvel properties. Especially Sokovia, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, especially Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, yeah, they did a good show. Yeah. Yeah. Sokovia, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say that. I think it got worse. The Sokovia yeah, it got, got worse after the sh- after the I've, review? Admittedly, I've only watched like the first season and a half, but the first set of episodes before that that were like self-contained, kind of like bad guy of the week ones, I found much more interesting to watch. Afterwards, okay. I I got so, really bored with the show. I, I, yeah, I think you I think, think all just sometimes. That your taste it's it's entirely about from... how how entertaining I thought Shield was at all. So, but yeah. I, I really like a lot of the characters, but. I, I completely stopped watching when the in- Inhumans thing happened. Start, so. start watching well. season season four gets a little bit better and gets a lot better. And part of that is because Ghost Rider shows up because at that point they just kind of got I, to go. Crazy. At some point, the record will show that I do like Ghost Rider. <laughs> so let's, uh, he's he's the spirit of I've, vengeance, you know. Guys, I, I, I want to move towards I want to move towards wrapping this up. Um, Never. I have a quote that I wanted to read you guys are from Joss Whedon from the commentary. We long, have we gotten longer than the movie yet? Uh, we will by the Probably. time we're done with this. <laughs> uh, All right, good. Uh, okay, so, dudes, re- read your quote, and this this can be your uh, final thought. Begins this is, now. yeah, it's it's over the uh, the scene at the end that Derek referenced earlier, where uh, uh, Captain America and Thor uh, and the other person are talking about or uh, what. Uh, whether Mjolnir could be in an elevator, like, would that count? Uh, they're arguing about, you know, what makes one worthy. And Joss Whedon says, I said, we really need something that expresses the gravitas of what they've been through. And Kevin said, uh, we should just make that joke about the hammer that you put, or that you uh, originally put in. Okay, yeah, let's do that instead. Uh, ultimately, I cannot even read my writing here. Um, ultimately, my desire for people to internalize what's happened and pay for it is sometimes not the best instinct for these summer movies. I am at war with my own intentions uh, when I make these things. Uh, I want to make a fantasy, but I am offended by the irresponsibility of the fantastic. And I thought that that kind of summarized exactly what a lot of you guys were saying was one of the issues with this film uh, earlier, that there's mm. there are clearly some like high-budget action movie kind of... Uh, 
scenes happening, but the, and there's like gestures at deeper, uh, more character-driven moments, but that those two things are kind of in conflict because of the time constraints or whatever of the film. Yeah. Uh, no. And there was one other thing where that he said about Chris Hemsworth. If there's one thing Hemsworth is good at, it's undercutting Thor's pomposity. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's something that, yeah, I, like, funny Thor is the best Thor, and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, Thor Ragnarok works so well. I have one question about this whole, the Mjolnir conversation. They seem to assume that an elevator could take Mjolnir up. Do we think that's true? Yeah. I don't know yeah. if that's true. Mjolnir is he rests heavy. it on a glass table right before, uh, or when he, when he, when they meet the yeah. vision for the first time. So I think that the, the weight of Mjolnir is not the issue. Like no, Mjolnir like can the... move in by inanimate objects, uh, but only the worthy I... can wield it. Yeah. Okay, I'm just Wielding like, it. but it just seemed odd to me that they like outright ass- like. It, I almost would have liked them to like be experimenting with it, like find an elevator yeah. and put it in. The <laughs> that would that's true. God damn it! If they do that, they're going to create a sentient elevator. Excuse me, Mjolnir <laughs> does not have an infinity stone in it. Uh, but also, I, I started that we know like, of. Maybe. Maybe like Mjolnir is actually yeah, like point. as the Earth spins, Mjolnir stays in place. But like the rotation of the Earth is <laughs> slow enough, and he never puts it down for long enough that you notice that it's in place and just slowly moving with the rotation hmm. of the Earth. I mean, yeah, remember- and we don't know what the physics are of Asgard because it, it doesn't appear to be a real planet. Asgard right? is like Discworld. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember, remember, this is all because it's Odin just Mjolnir's all the way shit. down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> o- Odin is magic, and Odin does not have to answer to your bullshit. <laughs> no, no, he's science. He's Arthur C. Clarke science. Anyway, uh, okay, science magic. Uh, let's let's just go left to right here. Derek, your final thought. Uh, this is not a bad film. Um, you know, I I think in in, in terms of the, the primary problem here is what we've just been you know saying this whole time that there's there's too much there's too much stuff in this movie. This is a double stuffed. Marvel film. But <laughs> Oreos um, are the best Oreos. Who and regular Oreos are terrible Oreos. I'm sorry, Jerry, go on. But also, they um, sell like those like half stuffed Oreos, and I'm like, who is this for? Oh, uh, yeah, I want a diet Oreo. So yeah. no one ever. Um, who who but, is going, you know what I love? I want more of the cookie in an Oreo. What is wrong well, with Well, the cookie people? gets thinner, too. Those are thins. I think the cookie itself is also thin. So well, like the other, the other thing that, that gets thinner is is sort of the texture of this film. It's oh, not badly, that was it's not badly plotted. Like, it's not badly plotted. Um, it's, it's actually, I think, a, a fairly well-designed kind of act-to-act structure like i don't think we've really said much in the way of you know kind of criticism of that but what happens because so many beats have to get hit and so many characters have to have this moment or that moment um that there's just not like you were saying patrick there's not time for depth or contemplation i mean the most contemplative kind of moment of the film is really kind of you know in the middle when when they're at the barton farm um, and in some ways it's, it's just way too short. Like, you know, that's our chance to breathe and that's the character's chance to breathe. But I honestly didn't feel that sequence the way that, um, I think we were, we were meant to feel about it. So, yep. Double stuffed. Double stuffed. Bester, your final thought? Uh, I just, 
I really don't like this movie. I was looking at like the MCU films and like trying to decide like how exactly I would rank it. What other movies? You know, I was talking earlier about like the tiers of Marvel movies, and like you know, I think you know I would put this alongside like the Incredible Hulk and Iron Man two, uh, Thor: The Dark World. Like it, this is definitely one of my least favorites. And also like just going back to sort of you know just sort of fundamental differences in opinion that we have like dude was talking about like sort of an upward trajectory of of marvel quality and i have had a very different experience of this like i would say like i was riding high off of winter soldier and uh guardians one and up until i think it really wasn't until spider-man homecoming that like i really felt uh like better moored in terms of quality like because fo- following up on this we have ant-man which i liked uh civil war which i like a-, a lot more after seeing it but did not like watching it doctor strange which i don't like guardians which i've only guardians 2 which i've only seen once but didn't like i might uh, revise that on repeat viewing and then like the last three movies i think have been among the best but well, like this like late late phase two or really a lot of phase two that isn't winter soldier and guardians and early phase three, I consider like a very rough patch I, for the MCU. I didn't mean that all of them get better, uh, sub you know, in in specific order. I just meant no, you meant exactly that because <laughs> the uh, the beginning, of, like phase one, has several films I don't like. Phase oh, two yeah, has no, a few one. films I don't like. I like every film in phase three, and really, I think since Winter Soldier, uh, right. I have liked every film. Phase three begins. That that's not true, dude. Uh, no, actually, it is. Thor: The Dark World came right before Winter Soldier. Yeah, phase. Yeah, Thor: The mm-hmm. Dark World. Civil War. Civil War through Black Panther is phase uh, three. Yeah, is phase three. Yeah. And again, I I really like I really like Civil War on rewatching it. But when I saw it in theaters, I did not like it. I, yeah, um, I didn't like it the first time, and I also didn't like Guardians one the first time. But I've liked both of them since then, and I I yeah. actually really like Doctor Strange. Although I understand that it is, it's I, it's more like a. a a standard cookie cutter Marvel film, but I, I like, yeah, I feel like, I feel like that was like, I think that was around the time where I really started getting sick of the superhero, uh, sort of boilerplate formula. And I think they've got, I think they've done better in the last few movies. Like black Panther still definitely fits the, uh, the pattern in a lot of ways, but I think it's, but, um, but yeah, like that one, I just find, and I, and I have seen that one again and, you know, it's fine. I wouldn't put it, you know, I'd put it in the middle of the pack. It's a middle tier MCU movie for me. And, you know, if I'm being like Age of Ultron, probably like looking at the list of MCU movies again, it's not as bad as Dark World or Iron Man 2. But I, I would say I'd probably put it at like the top of the bottom of the pack for me. The top of the bottom of the middle of the pack. Top of top of the bottom, or, <laughs> the or the bottom of the or maybe the bottom of the age of the planet of the apes. <laughs> yeah, uh, journey to the center of the internet. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick, for the tick reference. Patrick, you're right. <laughs> uh, Patrick, your your final thoughts. Um, I didn't dislike this movie when it came out. I certainly knew my fair share of people who did hate it. I, I've never hated this film. I mean, it's, I don't hate, first of all, I just don't hate films very often. Um, but I, I do think, I felt this way, I kind of felt dissatisfied with it the first time I saw it. And rewatching it, it was definitely a movie where the sum was the lesser than the whole of the parts. Because there's a lot of really great sequences yeah. 
and parts mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's like some great moments. There's some great t- uh, things. I like. I said, I actually genuinely love Bettany and Spader's uh, final dialogue with each other, mm-hmm. where they talk about it because, and part of that's because I think Bettany is really getting. Bettany's actually talking about some stuff that is like very important to me and how I view life and how I view, you know, beauty and and sort of the fact that things things aren't beautiful because they last forever is something that like is very speaks to me quite a bit. Um, and so there's all these parts that I that I enjoy. I, I love watching Andy Zirkus just be weird. Uh, we're gonna get a lot more of that like in a few some movies down where he's gonna just be even weirder. Um, but it just it never really quite hangs together. And you know, I, I know that I, I think there's been some stories about the this was one of the more troubled um, MCU movies, mm-hmm. uh, partially because there was a lot of things were getting pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, and I think that it, it just sort of feels like I, it does feel like Iron Man 2 for me, not necessarily in terms of like one for one levels of quality. But one of the things I think people complain about Iron Man 2 is that it feels like it's a lot of the plot is being shoved to the side so they can set things up for coming movies. Mm. And I think there's large things of age of Ultron where I, I I don't know it. it, it, This is what it feels like. I don't know if this would happen, but this is what it feels like. It feels like Joss Whedon thought, you know, I would really love to do a movie about Ultron. And then he got ready to do his movie about Ultron. And they said, oh, by the way, uh, Joss, just so you know, we started, we set up this idea of Baron Strucker and the twins. So you should probably, you know, work that out. And then they went off and then they came back. Oh, oh by the way, Joss, we're going to be doing uh, Ragnarok as well. So you might need to set that up. And one, two, three, et cetera, et cetera. Black Panther needs to be set up, you know. Also. Yeah, like there's, there's this, like, and, and I have no idea if that's how that happened. But that's kind of how it feels to me. Is that like it's it's serving a lot of different masters, I, and and I feel like it, it's because of that sort of the the one strong story. You know, if it's called the Age of Ultron. Ultron is the focus of the film intrinsically because it's, it's the name. In the much the same way, Thor Ragnarok Ragnarok is the focus of Thor Ragnarok. Um, and I just feel like Ultron almost almost Ultron almost sometimes feels like he gets shot into the background of his own film you know anytime they're kind of you know thor is off on his weird mystic infinity stones dream quest on on his magical exposition mystery tour <laughs> i thought i had heard that uh joss whedon specifically fought not to have that thor scene included but that marvel didn't want the didn't want hawkeye to have a family and like the whole farm sequence and that that was actually a specific exchange that they made that he I... would include that if they let him do the I family farm stuff. I don't know, and I don't want to presume. Um, I have heard that there was another version of the shirtless, th- shirtless Thor scene. By the way, can we just comment that no one else has done as many shirtless scenes as Chris Hemsworth? Like all the other superheroes, have stopped. Chris Evans has his shirt off all the time. Oh, not not Hemsworth. Hemsworth just goes shirtless at the drop <laughs> what of a What was that move, Nick? That was that was Peggy's reaction to seeing shirtless Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that just, is literally her reaction from the she, way that you like, were looking off into the, the distance and going like that. You were clearly just like imaginarily touching Chris Evans <laughs> and I, I, I thought he was high-fiving I, mean, I mean, oh my God, yes. <laughs> so. I have a but my point, uh, Captain America. I'm not denying there that. Was a, there, there was a written version of that where instead of him just sort of having a a kind of generic exposition <laughs> dump vision, 
the Norns themselves actually like manifested and gave him like weird riddling clues. Um, but yeah, so I just feel like there's there's a lot going on, and it just it shows. So I, I here, here's the thing, I'm I don't want to let Joss Whedon off the hook on this one uh, because dude, you you read that quote um, that he had given on the commentary, and that just rang so false to me given everything else I have ever seen that Joss Whedon has done, where he is completely not afraid to undercut a moment and completely willing to play to the audience and give them a popcorn moment. And it's not to say his work is, like, bright and cheery, because it obviously is not and is is uh, tonally grim in a number of places. But uh, I, I think the film that was made was probably not what he envisioned, but I would also say that it probably has more of him in it than he might be willing to admit after the fact. Oh, I don't, I don't, well, I don't think that's what he was saying. I think he was talking about how his first instinct is often to go with a moment of gravitas, but then he also has these other instincts to always undercut that gravitas because he'd had the, the moment about the hammer or the joke mm-hmm. about the hammer. And Kevin was the one, Kevin Feige was the one who was like, let's just do that and let's put in that line that you dropped. Yep. Uh, and then they used I, that line in reshoots. And that's what ended up in the film. I just I just don't know, having seen all of, or almost all of Joss Whedon's stuff, if the idea that he always, his first instinct is to go for gravitas just feels, feels not true to yeah. his style. Yeah. Well, you don't see the first instinct on screen. You see the final, the final right, production. But it's, yeah, it's. It, and I don't, about I don't think it's man- himself. Yeah, I don't so. think it's manifested in the work. And and then, um, yeah, there, there's this film has a lot of stuff in it, and maybe if it could focus just on the the main through line, I think that'd be good. But I also think that there were as we've talked about serious issues just with the way that Ultron was portrayed. Like he, he never, he never came across like what he could be. And I don't know if you lay that at the writer's room or if you lay that at the director, you lay that at the producer, yeah. but the film did not, as, as Patrick said, yes, Bester, I see, I see your gif. Um, I'm uh, just mesmerized by his pack. I, I will completely agree that, that Ultron's first and last scenes are, uh, if not the only two good ones, they're certainly the two best ones. Yeah, so, uh, it, it all ultimately, it doesn't hold together for me. And this is one that, like, um, when, when I watch these films, you know, I'm usually watching them. If, if they're on Netflix or Amazon, I'll watch them there. Otherwise, I will get them through iTunes. And every time I do it, I make the calculation, of, okay, is, is this a, a purchase or is this a rental? Is this one that I'm going to come back to? Uh, and, and this was a rental for me. Like, I don't enjoy it enough to want to come back to it. Um, it's not a bad film, like it, it, but it is a. It's it's a, maybe slightly above mediocre film, um, and, and that's that's the the only way that I can I can think about it. There's just there's not enough there that's interesting to me. Now I'd watch it again a thousand times before I'd watch Thor: The Dark World again. Um, <laughs> I I would watch Thor: The Dark World again before this. Whoa! Wow! Wow! Uh, yes. You, you just you really want to oogle uh, Christopher Eccleston's wig. He's George Washington. <laughs> I just I want to get some, I want to get like some hair inspiration. Like Elvis, see how that brain works. Trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah. Dark Elf, Elf Washington. Washington. Dark Elf Washington. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And that's that's. Uh. I think we're. I might regret that decision, but yeah, yes. Yeah. If you presented me those two, mm-hmm. 
And you know, like a few a few movies from now, when this isn't the most recent MCU movie I've seen, maybe I'll go like, ah, maybe I'll watch Age of Ultron again. But so, what if the tradition of powdered wigs in British society was actually a remnant? Or like a, a cultural society. remnant of when the dark elves a had genetic, some interaction with uh, the human species. A genetic memory. What if there, George? I didn't want to use that phrase, but a, yes, was a descendant of the dark elves. So <laughs> we. Uh, what if just, he, What if George Washington just was a dark elf? Nothing. Throughout was, history, what? the dark elves have meddled in our affairs. Did you say throughout history? Throughout history. Throughout history. Well, here's a fun fact about George Washington: is that his tomb is has and accessible only by applying the Infinity Stone to the ancient. <laughs> Actually, yeah, no, it's it's really thickly armored and locked, mm-hmm. and the the key was immediately destroyed after they locked up. They're his not tomb. trying to keep someone out; they're trying to keep something in. 